And do what pissed me off, the way they hyped it up. So they were like, oh, DeAngelo's like, we've got someone very special on stage. We've got a special lady. And obviously me, as DeAngelo fan, I'm thinking this could only be either Angie Stone, Erica Badu, yep. or by God's grace, Lauren Hill. Yep. But I One just of see his her. I, then I just see her. I'm like... <laughs> um... <laughs> Hello guys and welcome to season six of Don't Like The Stands. You are here with your host, Nicholas Terrell Scott. And Shopper. And this episode, we usually do the start of the season with all three of us, but Eden, for personal reasons, is not on this week. We wish him well, but he will be back next week. Fingers crossed. Cross your fingers now, guys, listeners, for all of us. And yeah, hopefully we'll be back in action as a trio next week. But um, I wanted to ask, it's been a long time since we've been back on air or on podcasting. How are you, Chope? And how has your couple of months off been? Um, Well, yeah, you know, New Year 2021, you know, and it is pretty weird to say that we haven't actually recorded since the middle of December last year um but no um I'm just happy that we're somehow getting through this treacherous year somehow like I think it looked like an uphill battle but like hey today is the last day of February it's like we're making it through <laughs> we're, we're approaching March which means okay we're getting closer and closer to the end of the year which means that there should be some sense of reprieve hopefully in some in some way but other than that um just you know same old same old uh capitalism 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 i just find myself really tired of it all the time don't really have the energy to do anything Mm -hmm. but i'm here still here yeah and yourself i'm good i'm good it's a crazy time to be honest and i think you know, we did a few collaboration episodes during our time off, but really, you know, the season has been off for a good chunk of months. Um, the podcast is like, don't alert the stands has been off for quite some time. And I'm going to be honest with you and you, you know, this, and I'm sure Eden knows this as well. This, um, this was needed, you know, in my case, it was, it was a very busy last year. It was a very mentally taxing last year as well, just because of, you know, the pandemic that we're currently still in um and just the workload that had to be dealt with throughout that from all of us like mm-hmm. I think we all took that hit of being in the house and having to do so many things and then wanting to do passion projects and then you know wanting to just be busy during a pandemic just to to feel something because no other capacity of life was able to give us that you know during such a tumultuous time and I think it's a testament to all of us for being here but it's also a sign and I've told you this yesterday Shopper just in terms of me where I'm at this year I'm not working myself to the bone like last year it's not it's not that type of year it's not that type of time at all um I think mentally it's just time to really center that and always center that and really prioritize that because if that's not good, it's gonna it's gonna bleed into so many facets of of life, you know, work, personal relationships, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So yeah, 
but you know this is a welcome return it's a good it's a good time i wish it was all three of us but um it is it is you know two of three and i think this will be a really good season just to kind of it's spring you know the weather's well it's almost spring not officially but the weather's kind of indicating to us that we're getting towards some better times um so yeah we're recording during that time it will be great and i think we've got some awesome kind of plans for this season as well so hopefully you know it's a great time for all three of us um and for for don't let the stands at large as well but um i wanted to ask you shoppe oh dear no no no. i wanted to ask you there's been so much that's happened since our time off i just wanted to ask you know what is the biggest and best thing um it can be in music and culture it can be outside of it that's kind of happened during our gap of being off what's something you've really wanted to kind of talk about or you know get off your chest in terms of what's happened well you mean like in general life it could be general it can be news like what's something that you if the podcast was running throughout those those times that we were off you would speak about um or bring to the podcast you know that's definitely an unexpected question i definitely wasn't expecting that i don't know um one of my favorite artists who i've been listening to for 10 plus years rochelle jordan she's releasing her first album in like seven years later this year Mm -hmm. And that was very, very exciting to me because, um, like I said, I've listened to her for a very long time, since I was like 16, like GCC times, A-level times. And to me, she's kind of like the unsung, well, one of the unsung pioneers of the alternative R&B Toronto sound that we would have with The Weeknd and Drake and Miguel and all those other people. So I was uber excited and she's dropped two singles in this so far. Got them and all along, and they was both really, really, really dope songs, and I love that she's kind of really going in a much more dance-oriented and up-tempo sound this go around, but it's still kind of got her her classic Rochelle Jordan touches in terms of the vocal delivery, in terms of the general uh, sultriness of it all, and just kind of how it's still like these are more club records, but they can you can still vibe to them. So back that she came back. Um, at the beginning of this year and I can't wait for the album. So yeah, that I guess that's one thing. <laughs> didn't know what, didn't know how to answer that, but hopefully. <laughs> what about yourself? No, that's amazing. I think that um I think that's a really good thing because I think you've spoken about Rochelle for so long and it's kind of um it's always good in an artistic kind of trajectory when you see progress and real upward trajectory. And I, I definitely see a, a change in how she's being profiled and um, just a bit, a bit more of a team effort, you know, on, on what's happening as well. It just looks like the bases are secure for this phase of her career. Um, yeah. And it's, I oh, think she's ready to play the game this go around. Yes. You know, do the whole, um, as you know, campaign rollouts and, you know, really put momentum into, into what's happening. That's really exciting as well. In terms of me and what's, what's happened, um, I'm kind of, even, I'm like, how can I ask a question and not know the answer myself? Like in terms of, um, in terms of things. But I think one thing that's exciting for me um, I'll say a recent thing actually is um, a new artist I've discovered, you know, shout out to PR, shout out to people and just shout out to, you know, social media and everything. Um, you know, I could have saved this for the listening section, but I'm not going to, I'll just, you know, put this guy on your radar. And I, I just think it's going to be interesting to see how he evolves throughout our season. Cause I think, you know, our season's three months, 
Um, if we think about Pasalu last year in the beginning of the year in the first three months, and then I think in three month phases, he's just built and built and built and built and continue to build throughout 2020. So maybe this guy will have the same trajectory, but his name is Kambu. Um, and he is he is a London-based rapper as well. And I think his music really speaks to me because it intersects the politics and um the politics and rap worlds, which obviously historically are forever and tied to each other, indebted to each other. Sorry. But um I just love his wordplay. So I think profile-wise, he's got the right team. So like Rochelle Jordan, like you said, team effort. I think he's aligned. And then I just think that his artistry is so together um for for a new artist as well so this isn't a song recommendation this is just an artist for for you guys to watch um so yeah i think that's something exciting music has been music you know there's some news items i'm excited about this this week as well which we'll get to a bit later but um yeah like music hasn't really changed much since we've been off air um it's not really i mean hyper pop is rising but yeah, nothing really like passionate that I'm like, oh my God, this is so exciting. Um, I need to talk about this. Do you know what I mean? In terms of um, that I'd be running to the podcast. I mean, I know you had D'Angelo yesterday for verses. Yes, I yes. thought that was going to be, which, I thought that was going to be your thing. Um, but. Which I will, we, which we will discuss, but that we will discuss that. Perfect. Um, I, have, I have a lot of things to say about that amazing um but yeah no 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 that's my thing but we i guess we can segue so you can discuss some of these things as well so i get well remember we have the listens nicholas that's exactly no that's exactly <laughs> what i'm going to so maybe it will be a part of your listens if it's not no 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 d'angelo isn't a part of my listens although i was listening to him a lot yesterday in preparation for the verses okay that could have um not happened but anyway i guess listeners um, are gonna have to wait then until later on to discuss but um before we get to that kind of the broader news of this week and what's happened and, and we can discuss that in there um shoppe get us into the listener sections right so i've kind of got a few old things um i have been um listening to the odd random single here the odd ep here okay but um i do think in the last week things I've played the most has been stuff that I'd already been familiar with. I just think a common thing with me now is that it's just gonna I have to just really be in the mood to listen to some, to a new artist or a new album, yeah. a new project. I just really have to be in the mood. And it, I really don't like it, but I, I, I just like there's a piece when it's just they just drop a single. This is there's a piece that comes with that knowledge it's like, oh it's not a whole album. It's not an EP. Mm. Not a lot to digest. But um, firstly, um, I've got Jamila Woods, Legacy Legacy. And this was actually my favorite album of 2019. But funnily enough, I don't think I actually ever discussed it throughout at all on the podcast that year. Don't know how that happened. But um, yeah, so it was my favorite album of that year. I went to go see her in Camden that same year. She was amazing. So if you don't know, she's um, a singer, songwriter, poet, activist, and teacher from Chicago. And she's part of that that new that collective that encompasses uh, No Name and Saba and Smino, Chance the Rapper when he was making good music. Mick Jenkins, Mick Jenkins, yeah, she's part of that whole scene. Nico, Nico Segal, yeah. So, and I've said, me and Nick have said it many times before. There's, there's just 
um, something really dope happening in Chicago right now. And Chicago's always had an amazing musical history, going as far back as Kanye and Common, Selena Johnson, and even jazz. Of course, like, of course, like yeah, jazz exactly. movements, which and house is music a part as well. of this. Yeah, house as well. And jazz and house, actually, in some ways, are a part of that new hip hop um movement that we're talking about from the mid tens you know they incorporate especially jazz like you're gonna hear some jazz horns on there for sure but um continue yeah and i can forget lupa fiasco is from chicago so like just what i'm saying so it has a history Mm -hmm. of um of great great artists and um if on the r&b scene like i said selena johnson and also the the man we don't no longer um talk about anymore um (laughs) yeah yeah, so yeah, so um, I randomly just so I've said it. I think if you follow me on Twitter and Instagram, you may have seen that I I, I finally have a vinyl player, <laughs> and um, so when I was like testing it out, trying it out, one of the albums I put on was Legacy Legacy, which I bought at her show two years ago, and um, so obviously I just like really enjoyed it. But after that, like I just found myself in the coming days after that, just like really revisiting certain songs because also I found that. Well, I love is that even though I've always loved this album, but I found that this past week I was listening to songs which weren't necessarily my initial favorites, more so over the past week. Mm-hmm. So there's a song on there. And what I love about this album is that it's such a well-rounded, well-executed concept album. So if you don't know, each song is named by a black great in history, whether it be music, whether it be politics, whether it be acting, poetry. So from the likes of Betty Davis, Zerona Hurston, Sonia Sanchez, Miles Davis, Muddy Waters, Basquiat, Octava Butler. So each song is named after someone. And each song, I think, uh, intelligently embodies the spirit of who they were and what they did in life, in history, and in art. So that if you haven't, if that's one of check the album out, you should. But anyway, the songs that I've particularly been listening to are Sun Ra, uh, Octavia, and um, Muddy. So the song's named after Muddy Waters, Sun Ra, who's kind of essentially the father of Afrofuturism. Octavia Butler, who's also a mother of Afrofuturism, with her many, many, many novels, many, many books. To all my literature nerds out there, she's written some um, groundbreaking science fiction from the Black perspective. And I just love how, like I said, I just think that, aside from the fact that the production, the way the song's written is so good, I just, I just still, it blows my mind, like how this whole album is just, it just works as literally a concept, a body of work. And it's kind of like musical history in, in some shape or form, because these are all things that she also brings in her own experiences on which of these songs, but it's kind of like, she's looking at herself through their lens. Mm-hmm. And I love that. So it's like I said, I've been saying it since 2019. This is, it was the best album of that year. And I know we don't like talking about the word classic, but I genuinely believe that there are a few albums which we can call early on classics. I do think that this will go on to be a classic album. I just think from years to years, because like two years later, I played this album there. And it's not even been out for a while now in that. The the quality is just so, so good. So just shout out to all the writers, producers, instrumentalists, everyone that wasn't involved. And also on a random note, I need her and Sarah to do a joint album because every time they do a song together at Banks, like every song they have together is amazing. So one of my favorite songs is also called Basquiat. It's a seven minute diatribe and I love the beats which up in between. So yeah, Jamila Woods, Legacy Legacy. If you haven't heard it, but please do. And also just check out Jamila Woods in general, like check out her past work. She's amazing, amazing, amazing. 
Um, and she's great live. So she was, I had a great time seeing her with my friend. I'd love to see her again, you know, when this Pauline Fowler ends. Um, <laughs> all right. So that's what, that's one. Next up, we have Kirk Franklin, Brighter Day. And it's so funny when I, um, cause I'm, I'm sure you saw Nick that he had his tiny desk a few days ago. Amazing. On from NPR. what I've seen. Yes. And I need to watch the was, full thing. It was crazy seeing that because earlier in the week, I had just been randomly listening to a lot of Kirk Franklin. Like, I think I've mentioned a few times on the show that I I love gospel music. Love, 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 love gospel music. And Kirk Franklin is, is one of my goats. He's one of my, he's one of my G's. I love him to death. Um, so I've listened to a lot of him recently, but in particular the song Brighter Day, which I feel was quite appropriate considering the weather was starting to get better this week. And we had somewhat quasi good news from our stupid prime minister. I say quasi for a reason because <laughs> it's tentative. So quasi good news. And um, I just felt like, uh, for me just loving the song, I just felt like I really kind of needed that at this moment. Like I just really needed some encouraging music. And that's what I always say to people that even if you're not religious or spiritual or whatever, I just think that everyone can listen to a Kirk Franklin or a Donald Lawrence or a Jay Moss or Yolanda Adams and, you can first just enjoy it as a piece of music because these are great musicians, these are great singers, these are great artists, but also you can also just take some of the positive energies that are coming from the music. So yeah, Kirk Franklin, Bright Day. Um, next up is Corinne Bailey Ray, and this was crazy to me. So I was just scrolling on Instagram and I saw that she posted a video doing a Q&A about her debut album, which turned 15 this week, and I just blew my mind. I could not believe that it's been 15 years. That's crazy. Since Cream Billy Ray came out. I could not believe that. Like, Cause I remember vividly seeing Put Your Records On and Like A Star on television. I vividly remember her, her debut. I remember seeing her CD in Tesco and Sainsbury. So I just couldn't believe it's been so long. And she's one of my favorite UK artists. I love, love, love her. All her albums are amazing, but her first album has a special place in my heart. And so I had to, so obviously I watched the Q and A. It was just nice to hear her answer some fan questions about reflecting on the album 15 years later, the inspiration behind certain songs and her plans um, of how to continue celebrating it as time goes on and just how it's aged so well. Mm. And of course I had to just go play it. And this is another album where it's just like, and from the beginning, I remember being 11 years old and I just thought this is just such an easy listen. It's just such an effortless album like every song is just beautiful like every song is just so lushly produced you know a lot of live instrumentation I love her voice I love her phrasing and I love her approach to singing and I just think that it's such a nice mix of like acoustic but it's folky but it's bluesy but it's soulful some songs have a bit of a hip-hop edge too and I just love love this album and it's just such a great great listen to put on in the background. And it's also, I feel like as the weather's, weather's um, starting to get better, it's a great summer album too, when I think about certain songs. But um, yeah, so highly recommend the album. But my personal favorite songs on there are Enchantment, Till It Happens To You, Trouble Sleeping, Seasons Change. But my number one, my number one is track six, Call Me When You Get This. If you don't do anything, play that at least. That is just, so just shout out to her, Corinne Bailey Ray, 15 Years In The Game, incredible album. And still making great music. Her last album was amazing. I I await her new stuff. She said she's working on three new projects, actually, which is exciting. She said she's working on her own next project, which has also got like um, an experimental 
um, electronic jazz project of producer she's been working with. And that's another thing I love about her, that she's got such broad musical influences and she really has a nice way of infiltrating them into her music. Such Because there's actually a song on on this album called Emeraldine, which is kind of like, kind of got, if you guys don't know, I'm a massive Bjork fan. I'm a massive Imogen Heap fan. Put his head. It's kind of got those kind of like acid jazz, uh, new disco kind of electro vibes on there. It's very different from what you'd expect of Corinne Bailey Ray, but she has that sense of musicality. She has a lot of references. If you listen to her, she has a lot of references. She's not just, as we know her, as this acoustic soul jazz, even though that's like her thing. But yeah, anyway, Corinne Bailey Ray. But lastly, but not least, um, um, I saw this on Instagram actually um, a colleague of mine had posted this remix mm. and I've mentioned a few times over the last couple of years I've definitely I'm getting a stronger and stronger affinity to a lot of house music and electronic producers and I saw that one of my favourite artists in the world Janet Jackson and I've always known this album existed but I've never listened to it so her Janet album from 993 she actually uh, released an accompanying remix album of that and it's essentially just an album it's the Janet album but house and hip-hop remixes and I, I've like I said I've known of his, his, his existence for years but I just never thought to listen to it but I was like what? now that I've got like, oh yeah I'm a, I'm a bit of a house head now let me put this on and I played it and these remixes are absolutely incredible absolutely incredible they're just so 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 good the way i've been having one man raves in my room listening to some of these remixes over the past few weeks i've played them while working out and i'm loving that i'm starting to now like develop a taste for certain producers because i'm like i'm like oh frankie knuckles great love him david morales great love him brothers and rhythm love him he's smooth love them so they are just some incredible incredible extended remixes they're all like six seven minutes and i just really love how they build and come back down and build and come back down and how she, how these producers just really put, took these songs, like, you know, That's the Way Love Goes or If, Anytime, Any Place. These songs, these classic, you know, R&B songs that, as we know them, but they just completely put them in a new light. And also some of these also have like a little bit uh, acid jazz, almost kind of inspired by the British sound of the 90s, like with um, like Incognito and the brand new heavies. There's a song on here called Where Are You Now, which is one of my favourite, favourite Janet Jackson ballads. And then there's a Nelly Hooper remix. It's just like a very, very different kind of vibe. It's kind of Sade-ish, actually, the way they kind of remixed it. And yeah, it's dope, man. It's really, really good. So to any of my Oons Oons house fans here, this is the album for you. And like, but it's not like your EDM bullshit. It's not your Usher OMG. This is like, soulful classic house music as we know it from the black and line queer communities in chicago and detroit it's that kind of sound so yeah that was very long-winded but yeah jamila woods kirk franklin kareem bailey ray and jenny jackson wow <laughs> what an eclectic mix of songs um and albums and projects i think um it just shows that you know not all of us are one-dimensional and like some of us have extensive taste and I think that's so key to you know just exploring I love it like electronica I love it I love when electronica is mixed in R&B I just think there's so much to explore you know I love rock when it intersects with yeah. R&B and mm -hmm. hip-hop as well like I love that and yeah there's so many different blends of, of sound and I even love alt-pop you know I love that realm and there's so many different 
spaces and artists and expressions, you know? So it's, it's cool. It's definitely cool. So what have you got for us? Yeah. Speaking to what I got into this week, um, I guess the first person I'll give you is um, Maria, the scientist, and she is from Georgia. Um, and then I believe she moved to New York. I know she's signed to RCA now, which is dope. And um, I just think her her sound in R&B is so cinematic, so um, intentional, and her lyricism is so simple um, and poetic and beautiful that it's able to really convey her story quite well. Um, and I just think she does this kind of thing with um, R&B and makes it kind of all poppy in, in, some, in some instances as well. And I think it would just suit a really kind of classic... Um, romantic Hollywood novel soundtrack or score I think it would just that's that's the best way to kind of put it um I definitely think it's yeah it's it's more than just um sitting in the music space I definitely can see it in film and soundtracks and that's the type of trajectory I see for her if if she's able to kind of find it as well but um she has uh what she calls an album out um, and I think it's just, it's it's really a testament to her kind of potential. And it's called Master. It was released two years ago, weirdly enough. But um, I found it now and I think she's, she's working on the follow-up to it. But yeah, it's called Master. Um, and it's roughly, it's 10 tracks long, 30 minutes roughly in length. And it takes you through the tales of her following her ex um, to St. John's and basically becoming, uh, getting involved in science, studying that, hence her name, Marie the Scientist, um, um, wanting to kind of get involved in, you know, the realm of medicine and stuff like that. But um, she she basically speaks on this project around how the relationship was built and then how it crashed and burned. And, you know, uh, as a 21-year-old, I believe at the time, she was just really scorned and hurt and bitter and, you know, um, defeated. But I think throughout the project, she, she is able to really take an emotional, intelligent approach to the whole situation and get herself back on track, if that makes sense. So it's, it's just, it's a really beautiful kind of piece of music um I love Beetlejuice it's kind of really uh guitar heavy um and it just kind of speaks to her voice I think it kind of gives her animation to her voice I think it's really beautiful I think she's quite candid on the record as well and I think she's just got such a strong potential I really I really do see her as hopefully breaking through in the in this next generation of R&B acts and finding her space. I think she's already got that sense of artistry, which is different to um, what we see in, you know, her or Lucky Day or, or a Giveon or, you know, just so many of the people who are now becoming the, the new leaders of, of the sound and the genre as well. I think she does things completely different as well. Um, I think she, in her writing, as I said before, is quite simple. Um, and I think she... As usual, you know, most artists, you know, that THC helps them get into the space. 
But um, I think she, I just don't know how she does it, but it's just really beautifully blended. I think she's intentional, you know, where some songs I feel like aren't crafted with that intentionality. Kind of reminds me of how Seven writes um, or Victoria Bonet um, in terms of those new wave kind of writers as well. I think it's really clever. I think it's really intricate, but then it's really simple in how if the final form of that, what she's trying to convey gets across. And I think when you're able to pierce across in such simplistic ways, um, it's easier to gravitate a bigger audience, you know, just because people aren't trying in this climate to um, have such elaborate takes on on situations all the time. And I think it works for particular artists for sure. But I think in the same way, it, it it's a detriment when when it's it's too much on on a production and on based on the situation which doesn't need that elaborate kind of nuance it doesn't always need to be there but um yeah i really love this project as a whole um as i said beetlejuice is one of the standouts i think my favorite 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 song um on this is thanks for nothing it's just a really powerful kind of um ballad um and it's just oh man it reminds me it reminds me of the days of like when music made you feel all the time, if that makes sense. Um, and this is this is a 21-year-old at the time, and I'm just like, damn, I'm getting, you know, and this isn't just, this isn't vocals. This is just how it makes you feel. I'm getting like a Celine Dion, you know, from her. I'm getting a feel of a Mariah Carey ballad, you know, when Mariah's really in her bag, you know, like just making you feel um, on that level. I'm getting Mary J. Blige, you know, when Mary J. Blige makes you feel. Oh, um, these are some big statements. Celine Dion, Mariah, Mary. Yeah, like, no, but this isn't vocals. This is just feeling. And I think people get it conflated, but I think just how they connect with love, all of, all three of them, how they connect with love and make, um, how they built their careers, to be honest with you, because that's mm. what built their careers, mm. how they spoke about that topic. Um, yeah, I think Maria has it. And I just want her to have that team mm. that knows that she's a star in the making, hopefully, and can operate in that conveying mood. And I think that is the real big definitor with a lot of these artists. Can you convey a mood, whether it's turn up, whether it's love, whether it's um, whether it's carelessness, like the weekend, mm. you know, sometimes mm. carelessness. But um, with that, if you can't convey me an emotion, I'm not going to buy into your products because music, you know, it's a business as well. Um, and if you can't sell me that concept, then you know, it's not going to happen. So yeah, this project is great. Um, and I just think it doesn't make you depressed, you know, even though it's going through all that love stuff, it doesn't make you feel downtrodden. I think the production is so beautiful in that it juxtaposes with, you know, sometimes quite harrowing lyricism to make you still feel like wow like I feel good like listening to this song about heartbreaking and you know I feel I can connect with her lyrics but I'm like the music is just touching me in a way that's kind of soothing the pain or the you know placebo effect of pain um so yeah no I just think she's really good at this and I I, I played it in December you know played it again this week and I haven't been able to she hasn't been able to leave my mind to be honest with you I just think that she's I don't know. She's got something. She's got something. And I just, I'm waiting for the second project to see if it's something or if it was just a fluke. But uh, in my opinion, she's very clever. And I think 
she knows her offering quite well. Um, in a weird sense, she makes me feel a bit like Banks as well, like in terms of how Banks musically can convey concepts. So yeah, mm. no, I'm just because I'm trying to find comparisons in my head as I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Banks fits like in terms of that really just that beautiful effect on how, as I said before, electronica and R&B and then how she's able to um, unpack concepts in those songs and be really kind of thoughtful in that approach. I think Maria does the same thing, but not sonically, just thematically and how she's able to unpack those themes. So yeah, cool. That is Maria the Scientist. I feel like I'm going to talk about her for an hour if I continue. So I'll move on. I'm going to have to check this girl out. She sounds really cool. Yeah, I like her. I like her. And I, you know, the name I think is quite a... Oh, what do you call the, what do you call it? It's quite a, it's quite, it's, it's, it's an interesting name. Like Maria the Scientist and you think you're going to get something on a superficial level and then you kind of go in there and you're just like, oh, okay. Why is your name Maria the Scientist if you're giving me this, if that makes sense? But I guess it's a draw. It's a, it's a, it can kind of captivate you in. And then once you're in, you're like, okay, like this is shocking. This is good shocking. So I'm a, I'm continue to press play, but um, that is her. Uh, yeah, really good project. And then moving on, I'm kind of like, I'm always that person that's like, I've got a lot, but I'm like, what should I say? What who should I? Um, okay, I think Shah Simone is someone who I'm going to bring onto the table next. She's new, literally debut single dropped a while ago, um, but this year. Uh, and it's it's called Supersize and she released a video um, to it as well, which is, you know, quite action packed for her first visual. But I think this this woman, she reminds me of um, Miss Banks in terms of how she's just really clever with her wordplay and how she's confident headstrong confident and a dark-skinned rapper like i want to see more dark-skinned women in this game so for her to be here in the uk like just coming out the gate that strong and punchy and powerful um it was captivating to see her visual she's definitely someone who i've got my eye on personally and i'm definitely looking out for her and what she can do she previously did a belly freestyle last year tail end of last year um and that's what captivated me i saw on instagram i believe first and then saw it blowing up a little bit on twitter so kept my eye locked and peeled saw she was filming a video and kept in touch with the single that would match it and i think you know sonically We've been building in the UK for a while in terms of that percussion heavy Afro swing space. I think this takes elements of that maybe in in just the kind of production landscape, but it makes it really hard. And the reason why I say that she reminds me of Miss Banks because that's how Miss Banks operates as well. Sometimes she takes those kind of um, percussions, those drums, those things with her product, her producers, and then she turns it into a completely like hip hop heavy track with just layerings of that Afro beats or Afro swing pocket. So I think that's a really good ode to where Shah Simone comes from. I believe she's got a name, believe she is. So yeah, taking from that West African pocket and, you know, just making it a hip hop track is what we do in this country, you know, with genre blenders, every single genre pretty much. Um, that's on the charts right now or are bubbling in the underground is a genre blend of some sort. Um, even when Chopin was just talking about his last listen, you know, how that's a genre blend as well with, with R&B 
and the uns uns and all of that. I think you know that is a genre blend, and that is a, that's a contemporary <laughs> trend. You know, that is a trend that's not just contemporary though; that has been happening for a while. You know, something which sometimes on a superficial level is irritating because it's R and B, and then when you twist it and it's superficial and it's not really thought out, it can crash and burn. But then when it is like Shope said, one, I'm sure that what he's listened to this week is done with more. You know, as he said, build and momentum and real intentionality. Let's change that vocal here and make it a part of the production here. Yeah, like proper, a proper, re- like, you know, an ode to the remix remix. You know, the days where they completely shifted a song with intentionality of using the vocals, not in one style, but they take taken completely other. So just making all these points to say the UK, you know, is an island of genre blending. It just is, you know, and most musical genres, if you really look at it, are either evolving from the genre before it or taking the genre before it in a different direction. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that is just a bit of light-hearted musical history for you. Um, Sha Simone, this song, Supersize, you know, production-wise, exists in that Miss Banks space. Um Reminds me of Miss Banks. I was thinking of the song name Come Through, her song there. Production-wise, if you compare and contrast, sounds very similar to that. But um, yeah, I think both of them should collaborate when when Shah builds up a bit more momentum this year. And I really hope to see her on these ones to watch lists coming forward next year, probably. And I can't I can't wait because one thing again, I kind of said his name earlier. One thing that's really, really surprised me this last year is I knew Pa was a star. Um Chope, Eden, we all, whoever played him, whoever interacted with him, you know, knew he was a mm-hmm. star. But mm-hmm. the way in which he's just gone, and he, this is no charts, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't reached the chart stage yet. And I'm someone who analyzes from all perspectives. We're not on the charts yet. Absolutely fine. But in terms of a profile and momentum and promise point of view and publication point of view and playlist point of view, he's posted. He's all there. He's, he's there. He's ready. He's, he's, he's there, you know. Um, I think this year, like with Gets, how he hopped on Gets' his song, you know, um, we're going to see a lot more collaborations and that's going to build his profile in a different way completely. So I think I say all that to say again, because I always go off tangent, that once someone gets on, they can do a lot in a year. And I think Pa has done a lot in terms of that underground scene. And now he's just like, I've done the underground. And I think this year he can either build on that and get to that that almost level if you're pushing through the breakthrough or he's going to completely break through this year and he's just won bbc sound so come on like this is this is real trajectory building and it's happening before our very eyes so shark you know could do amazing things we've seen avorian doll build her profile last year we've seen we've seen so shabo we've seen shabo build her profile last year as well we've seen a lot of new cats build their mm-hmm, potential mm-hmm. up last year as well back road g I was forgetting his name but back road we cannot ignore back roads build last year as well um so yeah i can't wait to see if shah continues to build this year or not and if she doesn't i'm gonna still continue to press play until that momentum starts to kick in because i think there's something there so yes those are my two suggestions or um things that i've been listening to that i actually enjoyed because sometimes we don't enjoy what we've listened to <laughs> um so shah simone supersize and Maria the Scientist um, forgot the name of her project. How could I forget that? But um, I will get it up right now. It's Master. Yes, those are my listens and those are Shoppe's. So we will move on to our news section. It's actually quite, quite positive this week. Quite positive because, you know, we've seen real things happening in 
Mm-hmm. We've seen things happening in all genres, to be honest, but the genres which we've picked up for that made the most attention and that kind of gravitated towards us for you guys this week are in pretty much the alt pop space um, and the hip hop space as well. Two items on hip hop, one in the alt pop kind of scene, which we're going to tackle first. Um, it's actually a British story as well. Um, and it is about someone I actually recommended for you guys last year. I love this girl continuing to do really good things. Um, and I think she's got a really promising future in the space of music, um, alt pop or wherever else she wants to go because <laughs> she's proven that she can do a lot, you know, um, on her debut, which is, you know, Rina Sawayama and her debut was called Sawayama great project um but it got uh snubbed last year in a major way we're going to get into that now when it comes to awards in this country um they are quite discriminatory um and and, and you know in other countries they have respective things as well you know we spoke about france you know before as well mm-hmm. um and mm-hmm. the lack of inclusion for certain people who are pushing the needle and pushing what's going on in their respective countries but this is in regards to the Brit Awards and Mercury Prize. Um, so eligibility, she spoke out last year around her not being eligible on grounds of her identity and on her grounds of nationality. But the singer has then campaigned heavily, which I actually didn't know that she was doing in the background. I, I saw the statement last year. I saw Vice champion that statement, but I did not know that she was continuing to spearhead this kind of um, movement in, in political music terrain. So it's changed now. The both both of these, you know, bodies have changed, which is actually shocking to me because you know how I feel about awards. But um yeah, the rules have changed for British solo artists at awards events. And, um, you know, she has contacted the British photographic uh, industry, BPI, to kind of advocate for this cause throughout the whole of 2020 with other supporters as well, such as Vice in the background too, who I believe did a mini documentary last year, just kind of talking around the issue as well so she's had real industry support this is crazy but um she was born in japan if you didn't know but has lived in the uk for 26 years um and has had indefinite leave to remain so she's you know allowed to be here um so the grassroots campaign has led to the bpi uh, agreeing to change the rules for the awards, allowing artists without British citizenship to be eligible for the awards if they've resided in the country for five years or more, which actually shocked Rena. She thought they would go for the 10-year mark, but they actually said five years, which is crazy. It's, it's actually really forward thinking. Um, and it's it's kind of wild that even in my head that they've kind of gone for this. Um, but she said, this is the UK I know and this is the UK I grew up with, one of acceptance and diversity. She told exclusively to NME um, in response to the move, and she said it feels really special. Um, she applauds the BPI for going above and beyond, and she, as I just said, didn't expect the clause to be just five years. She thought it would be longer and be um, 10 years. Um, she's also noted they've included people who were born here but might have been living somewhere else um and it's really just fantastic news for myself and others um she wasn't obviously eligible for sawayama in 2020's edition of the mercury's um under the current rules 
um, which stated that solo artists must hold either a British or Irish nationality uh, to provide official documentation of their citizenship, um, such as a passport. And um, yeah, she she spoke out, as I said, to Vice exclusively. Um, and there was a hashtag called Sawayama is British trending on that same day that she, the Vice piece went live. Um, so yeah, this is, this is big news. So I wanted to get your perspective, obviously, Shofe, on this, um, on what you think, because personally I'm shocked. So same. yeah, what, same. what is your re- gut reaction to this? You know? Um, I'm initially shocked that, um, this even happened. <laughs> I can't believe because, you know, it's like we said about, you know, past Lou, like she's not a chart topping superstar, like she has, her profile is quite massive right now. She's getting the great looks playlist to compress wise, but by and large, she's not charting or charting well anywhere. So I'm surprised that an artist of her her level current level of fame was able to take on two massive organizations, <laughs> two big awarding bodies, and it actually got passed through. Like I actually was wondering, like, hey, you might get yourself blackballed here. You know, you may shoot yourself in the foot. This may affect you know your standing going on. you know what the industry is like politics and all that kind of thing um so i'm surprised at that but what's bad but i ultimately do love it though because i love that we through this kind of medium we're now expanding and broadening the ideas of what britishness is and what a british artist looks and sounds like or a british a british artist's uh familial and personal history so i think it's great and and, hope, and now she's opened the doors for other artists of, from from similar experiences who can now be who are making waves because Sayama definitely should have been um acknowledged by the Brits definitely and the Mercury especially the Mercury so yeah that's my thoughts yeah I definitely agree I think it's uh it's it's wild that they even reacted to such a feat you know what I mean I think it's yeah it's revolutionary in some ways uh so for Rena, this is going to be great for her next project. Um, for artists who come here to pursue a career in music and, you know, still last that five-year mark, you know, in terms of citizenship, in terms of employment, all of that, then they can f- be eligible because that, it, it was probably an afterthought for them. They were probably like, I'm sacrificing all this, but I won't be eligible for British awards. You know, they were probably like, okay, that's cool. Like they just took that on the shoulder. They just wanted the financial or profile building um, in terms of fans and audience and listenership. They probably just sacrificed that awards. And you know me, awards, divesting, we, you know my mindset. I'm not in that space to, you know, validate them. But in terms of me being cognizant of the fact that the music industry and people at large, listeners and all that, still are under that kind of mindset of acknowledging them as, you know, trajectory building, incredible, all of these kind of feats, um, it means something. You know, I can't deny that it means something. It's historical change in the canon of awards and especially on a an island that so routinely is ready to discriminate on any grounds, you know, and take away citizenship um, based on, you know, little things and things where people were kids, you know, I'm hinting to something this week, but lit, but on this basis, I think it's a good thing. It's a progressive move. Um, and I think Rena has something to be proud of. I think she'll be remembered in history now and in a way that she, she wasn't, uh, 
yet remembered just yet. Um, and I think more artists need to use their, their platforms because as Shopee noted, her platform wasn't as big as a Dua Lipa, for example, mm-hmm. which, you know, um, who could have advocated and maybe put pressure on the issue. I'm not just saying Dua Lipa, I'm just saying someone of that stature. But um, yeah, it's it's nuts. And, you know, Rina, Rina single-handedly probably did this alone with the smaller grassroots organisations. I'm not taking credit away from them. Um, but absolutely incredible for an artist to just stand in the face of this oppression. And, you know, headstrong. I think she won. And I think we reported on the initial thing um, actually last season. So great, great. It's a great narrative arc when we record this podcast and we have outcomes, you know, and mm, positive outcomes. Mm, it's, it's good. It's good. Mm. It's good. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of her. We have resolution. Really, yeah. yeah, we have res- good resolution. I'm proud of her because um, I love her music and not just because of that, but because I think there's politic in her music. And I, I, I respect that a lot. And I, I resonate with artists that have a lot of politic in the music. And it's good to see that that same poli- pol- political, sorry, rhetoric um, isn't just the theme for a song. It's actually carries out in, in her real life work. So Rena, all huggers out to you, man. Incredible, incredible. And during a pandemic, like we have other issues to deal with and she, you know, you did this, you know, so really great stuff and salute to you and the other eyes who will benefit from this um going forward if not yourself you know so great um let's move to hip-hop and the united states so we have a news item in regards to someone who i just need to shut up for a little bit just a little bit just a little bit a long time um but also I have some words for the woman as well and the wife involved because you know there are some words you know there, there are some words as well but this is about Kobe Bryant. This is about Vanessa Bryant specifically. This is about Meek Mill. You know, you probably, you guys probably heard about all of this. But this is just a lot. It's heavy, you know, a bit heavy. Um, so Vanessa Bryant, if you don't know, is the widow to Kobe Bryant who, you know, died. I still can't believe this happened. You know, same year as Nipsey, within weeks of one another. Same year as Pop, you know, so much happened in was it the same year as nipsey yeah it was weeks weeks it was wasn't weeks, nipsey i believe or was it pop same year as pop but hip-hop was um hip-hop and like wider hip-hop culture because we know basketball and hip-hop culture we know they're they're inseparable in some ways um they, they were here, you know, within weeks of one another and both died really tragically, you know, Kobe and his daughter really sadly in a helicopter flight. If you didn't know, I'm sure everyone knows because the world know. But um, this is regarding music <laughs> a year or so later. Um, Meek Mill on Monday was called out for a recent lyric referencing... Um, her husband's death, Vanessa Bryant's husband's death, Kobe's death, you know. Um, so there's a leak song with Little Baby called Don't Worry. And the lyrics, you know, caused some controversy, not just with Vanessa, because this wasn't a singular issue. Meek Mill was trending um, in prior days, I think the weekend before, because the song leads the week before. So um, the track reportedly, you know, have to say allegedly, reportedly, we have to do that, contains the lyric, this B, um, um, effing always tell me that she loved me, but she ain't ever show me yet. And if I ever lack, I'm going out with my chopper, it be another Kobe. Okay, so that is the lyric. Um, and... 
the leak has since been removed from social media platforms. I'm sure you can find it though. Um, and it's lyrics deleted from Genius because you know Genius, they love to either factually or unfactually put lyrics up as soon as things hit the internet and then have to change things, you know. But um, the lyrics were previously up because I looked at them, but they're removed. But yes, Kobe, obviously the reference is to his death in as I just prefaced a helicopter last Jan um, and it involves seven other people as well just for context there were some tweets online I'm not going to read these ads because I do not have confirmation but I'll just read the tweets um, Kobe and Gigi's deaths were only a year ago the family is still grieving heavily over them the last thing they need is a bar to be made out of their loss right now meat meal always been lame <laughs> but this is a new low Meek Mill really thought that verse was acceptable. Then there was a gif, of course, you know, someone looking away. Um, actually, this is a verified person, so I'm sure I can read their tweet out. You know, Michael Lee said, I don't know when I'll be ready to hear a song that references Kobe, but I know it ain't now. And I know that line Meek Mill just dropped, ain't it? Let that man rest in peace a little longer. And the next man who wants to try it, work a little harder to ensure that your bar isn't so disrespectful. Um, and Meek Mill, obviously I was going to give you an update if he responded. Um, he said to the people misinterpreting the lyric allegedly somebody promo a narrative and you'll follow it your internet antics cannot stop me shit like zombie land or something lol that was his response but we will get to <laughs> vanessa who addressed the controversy herself um she posted a statement uh on her instagram story uh, and she directly called, <laughs> she directly called Meek Mill. Um, she called him a lot of things, actually, but she said extremely insensitive and disrespectful. That was the overarching thing. She wrote, dear Meek, um, I find this line to be extremely insensitive and disrespectful, period. I'm not familiar with your you or any of your music, but I believe you can do better than this. If you are a fan, fine. There's a better way to show your admiration for my husband. This lacks respect and tact. Um, she later shared a post from her friend, uh, basketball player Candice Parker, who said, I'm sorry, you and your girls have to continually deal with shit like this. It's not fair and it's not right. Um, and Meek Mill updated us on the situation saying a few hours later I apologised to her which is Vanessa of course um, Bryant in private earlier today not to the public nothing I say on my page directed to it in a net viral moment or the family of a grieving woman if you care about someone grieving change the subject um, so yeah I believe this is the update yeah, Meek Mill Vanessa Bryant, Kobe Bryant, rest in peace. Um, what are your thoughts? Um, obviously the line is very insensitive, but I'm not surprised because I feel like the it's been coming to unravel over the last couple of years that Mickey Moore's a clown. And like he's really just becoming a bit of a social pariah and a bit of a joke. And it's just like and it's kind of frustrating because I do like him musically sometimes. And I do I, I really enjoyed his last album actually. Um and I think that he 
really had a chance after he came back from prison to really just rebrand himself. But he's just now been involved in too many stupidities and been involved in too many dramas and just kind of being, in, just getting himself mixed up in shit he doesn't need to be and just being a, a dummy. Mm-hmm. And they're now doing this as well. And then the fact that he, even before Vanessa even got wind of it, he was like clapping back at people on social media. Yeah, he and, was replying quite but, heavy. Yeah, he was trying to like defend it initially. And then... I think he even came for Vanessa, actually. I think he said something. He said something. He eventually, like, retracted that thing that they've had a private conversation. Um, mm. But, you know, it's just like, yeah, it's like, how could you say that? Like, if you want to you know, pay tribute to the impact Kobe had in life, there are many, many other things you could have said, many, many more, yeah, many ways you could have phrased that line. And it's just... And I think... I think we've come to see, sorry to finish, let's say cut you off, but just, I think we've seen in the past, like even with Kanye, you know, an alleged conversations, you know, you can contact the family, like, or just, even if you don't get through to them, just make sure the message is left that, hey, there's a line coming out soon. Is it okay, number one? Or number two is this line? This is what I'm thinking of saying. That people act like phones don't exist. Like, you know, we can do all of that, especially if someone died like a year ago, you know, probably just less than a year ago when he recorded this. I would have been like, what's good? Like, you know, well, not what's good, but like, hey, you know, um, I'm just thinking about using his name. Is it too early? Is it too soon? Can I do it? This is kind of the line. Is it too much? You know, um, let me know, you know, and even the sense check around, you know, A&Rs and people around him. I know this was a leak, but they definitely must have heard some of the material or something, especially if it's Kobe's name being used. I'm sure Meek said something. Um, A&Rs and all that. Let's have a bit of intellectual, cognitive awareness, mm-hmm. you know, and just be like, this is, you know, I'll contact the people, you know, don't release it until it comes out and all this kind of stuff. But I just had to add that in. There's this background conversations that you can have. That's my point. And I think Meek, you know, there's no, there's no denying, you know, just like I've said before, there's no denying when Ross, Rick Ross jumps on the track, you listen. When Meek Mill, you know, when it's the right track, you listen, you know, that last album was fire, straight heat. Like, no one's going to deny that for me, personally. Really great hip-hop album made me love hip-hop again, or contemporary hip-hop. Um, I just love that aggression. I love his competitive spirit. I know he's lyrically really talented when he can be. Um, and he has a story. Like, listen. That's what I'm saying. Meek Mill has a story. Meek Mill has stories on stories on stories, you know. And he's a survivor, in my head he's a real he's a real survivor and it's all getting lost in the shuffle yeah like he truly 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 like that is the one thing that keeps me hanging on is that he is a fucking survivor like legit and the law just the, he is a story of hip-hop like when you think of hip-hop and rap like and what it's been through he is like 50 cents one of those people jay-z is one of those people meek's one of those people cardi you know is one of those people in terms of the women kim is one of those people foxy you know there's there's so many people who are the brat, you know, so many people who are that story personified. When I think about the hardships, and I'm not saying that everything has to be layered in trauma, but hip hop is that story from trauma. It is, it's birth from it. So when I think about all those figures, Meek is definitely a modern iteration of all of that. Tupac, you know, all of these people embody the 
true essence of what hip-hop is and Meek Mill is one of those people so to see the image you know being tarnished and he self-destructs and he does it himself sometimes I know it was a leak if if we're truly if it truly was a leak like truly um you know it's not his fault maybe he was planning not to release this that there is always that scenario but um in terms of him i just need him to use some of these controversies do not be baited by a six nine which you know baiting him right now as well um he just needs to really focus on the music because he can deliver there's no doubt about it when he gets in the right studio focus maybe go with hip boy you know get some of these producers again and just focus on the music because i still feel it's salvageable like honestly truly i still feel like it's salvageable uh, i don't know i feel like the brand is kind of taking some hits <laughs> his audit no but his his fan base are there like i'm not saying it's massive numbers like i'm not saying it's a 300k fanship you know who will be there but he gets he gets 100k you know I feel like he's veering into Charles the Rapper status. I feel like he's he's veering into not obviously music. And that's the thing with me. I don't the think connection is music. Chance the music is not adding. That's the final pillar. With Meek, the final <laughs> pillar is still there because the last album, if we look at albums, like back was really to front, good. top to bottom, like pff, lip huh. Shout out to Oodles, yes. Oodles and Noodles. Shout out Listen. to On Me. There's so many um, songs on there. And the thing is, it was right in length. It was right in delivery. It was right in, um, it was right in balance of, you know, the fun records and the serious records. It was great intro. Like everyone loves that Meek intro on the album. Like, yo, like Meek is that guy. Like I'm not, like I'm not even trying to advocate. Like he's not even in my top favorite rappers list. Like he's not even the J. Cole Kendrick, you know, but he is that person. And I said, I've said this analogy many times. Chope probably knows it. Other people, there's a restaurant. This is my scenario. There's a restaurant. And at the front table, there's mm-hmm. Drake, J. Cole, and um, Kendrick. Of course, the top three of our generation of hip hop. Then you have the second table. And on that second table are people we've discussed before. Wale, Meek Mill, um, Big Sean, of course. Like the people who should have Ooh. been, you know. And Meek, the final pillar is still there musically. Still there. It's still intact. I just need you to get off social media. Like seriously, like management. I don't. I don't even know if he has those people. Like in his. Like, I know he has management, but like in terms of those people who control his social media, they need to. We need to step in now because a year. I actually do a year. You know, you can post Instagram pictures. It's cool. Young one story, two story. You know, just aesthetics. You know, things like that to keep the momentum. But in terms of actual words, no one needs it. It's fine. It's actually fine. Like it's fine just go to put the words in the booth you know the non-problematic words in the booth because you've still got it musically it's not like you're falling off musically in terms of the actual sonic you know songs all of that um you're fine you're actually fine musically that if the last album was a dub you know like we, we big sean's critique big chance. sean's critique chance chances off the cliff he ain't even a real hip-hop person like forget it but in terms of big sean i'm screaming that's the biggest critique, the music. Because the profile, we got something to work with. It's like the complete opposite in terms of uh, Meek Mill and him, if you compare and contrast. But in terms of Meek, I need you to build the profile again. Like, it's just so sad. Like, not that criminal justice route, because we can tell that's a facade. We don't need that angle. It's fine. Like, but just something, something different, you know, something different. 
um maybe a bit of rick rock luxury maybe not exactly the same not not too much luxury but just like professional luxury i'm not even saying respectability politics because you can speak about your life but yeah. just aesthetically yeah. i just want a nice you know just you know hood professionalism hood, not even hood professionalism hood class you know hoods you know hood get a fabulous like andre harrell to us yeah that's it that's it that's that's a that's a term that's not um, respectability politics that works and i want him to stop trying to be on this whole political prisoner activist uh abolished like you don't have the range or the or the or the knowledge or the reading to carry that kind of weight in your music or carry that weight in your promotional packages it just doesn't work it's clear when you do these interviews they don't know what you're talking about you just pick up random bars of words they've seen on twitter you've been listening to ti yeah. too much it's like that it's picture like, of lebron like, james reading the book i'm like you, you didn't read the yeah. book. You read it it's fine like it's, it's fine but yeah it's like by all means like weave in your personal experiences but don't try and come it from come at it from the perspective of, as this kind of like i don't know Expert. As if you're like, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. All silly and all-knowing <laughs> expert. Like, it's fine. Yeah. Um, and it's just going to get him in more trouble, to be honest. And, like, you're going to hold yourself up to a standard which you can't uptake. So that's fine. Like, just take it in time. Like, pace yourself. But musically, I just need, you know, another, I, I need another album. I want another album. But, like, in terms of just the, the rhetoric online, forget it. It's fine. It's actually fine. Don't go on Clubhouse. I know you're on Clubhouse too. Just ignore that app. Delete it. Like, it's all good. Um, but that's Meek Mill, and that's it. The Vanessa right. stuff, you know what? I'm gonna leave it because we're not. It's it's fine. Is this the stuff about um, her responding yes, about the rape accusations? Was. Well, this isn't this is a music yeah. podcast, so this this isn't relevant. But yes, I saw yeah, those she two. Needs to stay off Instagram. But yeah, both both and parties, you know, just you know. Anyway, let's move to we'll talk about prison again. But um, oh no, I want to do that um last. Because I think... Wait, what be... is... You sent me three items. <laughs> oh, no, we're doing D'Angelo, remember? Oh, yes. La- um, last minute. Yes, you? yes. Last minute, last minute, last minute. So, basically, I have to let you lead this because I fell asleep. Because <laughs> I was watching I was watching Hip Hop Uncovered. Great documentary, by the way. Um, Yeah, on FX. So, basically, I was watching that. And then it was, I was meant to like segue into, you know, D'Angelo and stuff. So, I need to recap it. Haven't done that yet. So, this is all you so okay take it over. so as we all know versus which we it just which i saw a tweet from crystal from the read it's funny it's funny she said we've been going to club versus for for nearly a year I which kind of blew my I mind i can't believe that like but wow it's we've really been doing that for nearly a year but anyway so for a couple of weeks ago it was announced that d'angelo was going to be doing a versus um, a solo versus called D'Angelo and Friends, which um, aired yesterday on Instagram on Apple Music. And for those who know me, I think if you know me that this was something that brought me immense joy, this announcement, because if you guys didn't know, D'Angelo is one of my all-time favourite artists in life. I love, 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 love D'Angelo. I cannot tell you how much, how much Brown Sugar, Voodoo, Black Messiah, are amongst my favorite albums of all time, Voodoo especially. I've said it a few times that he was the best show I've ever been to. February 26, 2015, House with Apollo, the greatest show of my life, a magical spiritual experience. Like, so my love for D'Angelo is strong. I love, love, and revere that man. 
So I was naturally very excited when I saw this. And obviously when I saw the D'Angelo and Friends, yeah. I was like, cool, it's not going to be like a typical versus. And obviously, you know, he's associated with so many illustrious artists and producers and musicians, you know, as a member of the Soquarians, but also his ties to Raphael Sadiq and Angie Stone, Anthony Hamilton, Pina Palladino, Spanky Hayes, some incredible, incredible musicians. And, you know, if you're a nerd like a music nerd like me, Quest Love, like... Uh, Tab Kweli, like Erica, like you know, yeah, he's associated with so many, so much musical geniuses. So I thought, okay, we're gonna get a really, um, really good vibe here. And then it was rumored that Maxwell might turn up, and Lauren, well, I didn't think Lauren Hill was gonna be there. She'll probably think it's next week. Um, so I'm dead. <laughs> so it finally happened yesterday, and I'm sorry to say this, and I like. I loved him, but it was incredibly disappointing. I was very disappointed. <laughs> like I thought this was leading there, to be honest, because I've seen some clips, some preview clips, and I was like, oh, okay. I was very disappointed, espe- especially because I took a nap for this, because I knew it was two in the morning. So I was like, you know what? Let me take a nap at eight o'clock, wake up at 11, yeah. have a late dinner, watch Moesha, which is what I did. I'm like, cool, do some reading before D'Angelo. And so, first of all, DJ Scratching, that's his name, I think. Yeah. Killed the opening DJ set. I was bopping in my room. I was like, I need this in the summer. I need like a small COVID safe house party or day party. Like, please, Lord, I need it. And then D'Angelo finally came on like 53 minutes later. You know, So 2.53. Yes. No, I think, do you know what it is? It's versus they, these people always delay like and do brand sponsorship shit in the beginning it was there was there any brand placements or anything yeah it was like Ciroc and stuff oh for fuck's sake every single time <laughs> i mean i know the Ciroc is meant to be their like staple but like there's always some shitty little alternative like doritos or something i'm just like why are you guys doing this so anyway sorry continue so he came on at 53 so, so he finally came on i think he had just smoked he came with some cigarettes which i thought was hilarious and, you know, he's wearing this wonderful Teddy Pendergrass-inspired um, fur coat. <laughs> and and he came on, he, he hopped upon the keyboard, and he played of he did. An, a new song. So I was like, oh my God, so we're starting with new music? Okay, he says everything. Okay, suddenly the wait was worth it. So the new song, give me give me your perspective on that. So if it was, it was, so it was just, it was just him and piano accompaniment, but I, I loved it. I was like, I know what, whatever this is, I love it. Okay, I need good, it. Good, I, good. I need the Spotify link, whatever it is. I like it. And then he proceeded to go into his catalog and he's played songs like he played all his hits, obviously, but he also played, you know me, I'm the king of deep cuts. Yeah. So he played some of my favorite songs like All Right, Sugar Daddy, Chicken Grease, really love spanish joint chicken grease oh my god like you know but this is the problem he just would play the studio version yeah and then he would occasionally sing over them i'm like oh what are you doing so it wasn't a real instrumentation no oh okay this is what i thought we were getting he literally pressed play on spotify and occasionally sang over the track (sighs) basically and what i was expecting was because obviously it was at the apollo theater so i thought it was literally going to be a live show that's what i thought and what pissed me off was that he had there was a keyboard there there was a guitar there so there were instruments on the stage but Mm. they weren't being used and then d'angelo would be sitting there not playing the keyboard. I'm like, so why is this here? 
It's not and he would occasionally make sense. He would occasionally get up, do a nice little ad lib or a little run. He'd just falsetto, cool. Then he'll sit back down. And then what really annoyed me was that he had the audacity. It's, 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 you know what? Timberlands, where needs to answer for your crimes? You have me dragging D'Angelo. You have me slandering my my, my king, D'Angelo. Like, you don't understand. Like I have this, I have a shirt of this man. Like you understand. Yes, you may think I'm behind. I know it's D'Angelo. Like that is like, <laughs> like. So yeah, because like he would be sitting at the piano and then like patting his head because he's swaying. Like, what are you swaying? You're not even doing anything. <laughs> like, you're, just, you're not even doing anything. Like, you're just getting up and just the, the vibe was just off. It was no energy. And it's make matters worse. Like, as we all saw, you know, we saw Patty LeBell and Gladys Knight. They did the same thing. Obviously, it was in person. Mm. Um, and they were just playing the studio versions. But what, what really helped was that one, it's actually a true versus. So it was like they're bouncing off each other. Like it's two people bouncing off each other. Yeah. So like it kind of works. Yeah. But also they were, they were actually singing, singing over the tracks. Like Gladys was pretty much singing live the whole time. Patty was still busting out random high notes every now and then. But also they were talking at length in between each song about where it came from or a memory when he recorded it or it was originally written by. D'Angelo was saying like one sentence per song. It's like, oh, we got this song from Black Messiah. I love it. Play the song. Is that what you was, say? Yeah, he wasn't really like, because I, I would have accepted that if you're going to just like play the songs and just do nothing, I would at least like you to just talk. Yeah. Like, let's just get into your world. And then also, so like the Friends thing was a lie. Like Method Man <laughs> and Red Man came out. <laughs> Wait, did they not say anything? What do you mean? Did they not perform? Oh no, Method Man and Red Man came out for left and right. Oh. Um, but that was it. And then what? And then randomly, her came out and performed best part. And I was like, why is her here? Okay, so Apple are promoting the girl. <laughs> okay, that's. What I was like, like, every it, I think R and B has been instructed to promote this girl, and you know me, you know me, you know I love her. And we but love like, her. Yeah. We love her. But we it's love like her over here. it's like it just is feeling very hashtag ad at this it's time. Fe- yes, with some people. And do what pissed me off? The way they hyped it up. So they were like, oh, D'Angelo's like, we've got someone very special on stage. We've got a special lady. And obviously me as a D'Angelo fan, I'm thinking this could only be either Angie Stone, Erica Badu, yep. or by God's grace, Lauren Hill. Yep. But I One just of see his her. Or, I, then I just see her. I'm like... <laughs> Um, and this is what I'm saying. I think the industry <laughs> have a slightly different perception of her than we do. Like the thing is, I think the thing is she's special. Like let's not get that twisted. But she's everywhere, so it's not hyped up and or special. It made seeing no her. sense in the D'Angelo canon story or canon to have yeah. her on stage, and then the fact that she came up performing best part. It's like, getting why weird. She it's her getting song? weird. It's getting weird. And then once again, D'Angelo was just sitting there smoking a cigarette, like not doing like just stop doing anything. And then first of all, nowhere... let's stop the smoking in this exactly. Apollo Theater. Let's <laughs> I mean if obviously if it's the Kush Kush, you know, that makes a bit more sense. But like come on, come on, let's stop. And then out of nowhere she started singing Nothing Even Matters, which I like appreciate because obviously, yes, D'Angelo and her classic, but once again, but why is her singing it? Mm. I don't want this moment from her. And she sounded amazing, obviously. Of course, she, of course, she, she can, can sing. sing. We know that, but and also on a random note, I actually would like a D'Angelo and her collaboration because I. Really That's what want, I was thinking. I was I thinking really it's no one. I really want her to get into her instrumentation soul funk bag because I know she has it. Mm. I know it's there. I know she does like the contemporary R and B, dark old R and B sound, but she's a musician, and I can definitely see her on 
a D'Angelo-esque kind of vibe. Like, she's, like she has the, the chops to give me that Pull kind it of off. vibe. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was only positive. But I was like, why are you here? Like, I was reading the Jocelyn meme. Why are you here, her? <laughs> <laughs> and then she left. And okay. I, then it was just, once again, more of the same. And the thing is, what caught me was like, every song banged because D'Angelo's catalog is incredible. Like, so like, I love every song. But I'm like, but I could have played. I could have just gone on Spotify if you if, if, if you're just gonna play the music. I could go on Spotify, but mm. I was expecting a live show mm. or also more guest appearances because there were some rumors. It's coming out now. Timbaland has revealed now that it was supposed to be D'Angelo and Maxwell. On I saw that. Day. I saw that. New. Yeah, yeah, that would have been dope. Which that would, would have been, been amazing. Fire. And I think that would have that should have happened because if D'Angelo wasn't actually gonna perform, sing, or play piano or do anything, I would have rather him and Maxwell are sitting down playing. Press play on Spotify and the bantering, mm. having jokes and talking about stories, you know, backgrounds of songs. Exactly. And yeah. Because this is another thing about how deep my D'Angelo love goes. I've had the same desktop picture for the last nine years, and it's D'Angelo and Maxwell meeting each other for the first time. That is how much my love for D'Angelo and Maxwell go down. Like, mm. so like the arc, think, there were arcs of a certain period in R and B. Like, yeah. come on, like it's not. This isn't like little a light-hearted mark in it. It's like a full. He's moment. a giant. It's an era. It's an era. Do you know what I mean? Like there are children of both. You know, in yes. our industry, so it's yes. kind of like this is underwhelming for it to it was versus very, to be like that. Very underwhelming, and it's just like I feel like it was a disservice to even D'Angelo's talent because it's like mm. we know you're a beast of a singer, a beast of a musician, and you weren't even giving us that. And you just seem like you didn't want to be there. You were just like lazily bopping around, walking around every now and then, bopping your head. God. And then the DJ was just talking in between, chatting nonsense. And, like, and what even got me was that, so, I, why do you love though? I love seeing the commentary on Twitter because he played quite a bit As of Black always. Messiah, which was his last album in 2014, which unfairly doesn't get praised to the same level as Brown Sugar and Voodoo. Mm. But what I loved seeing was people now realizing when he's playing this way, actually Black Messiah was actually a great album. Yeah. It was a great album. And then Loki started the pro-black movement in music. Like it kind of spearheaded what we would get with Pimper Butterfly and Lemonade, a seat at the table. Like, so I loved seeing that conversation because it was true. Yeah. And I loved that people were really understanding that he was really pulling from Jimi Hendrix and The Who. And Led Zeppelin. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So I loved yeah. seeing Psychedelics that. Psychedelics and yes. all of that, yeah. So I loved seeing that and Cream. So I loved seeing that conversation. I just, and I just, well, in general, people were praising the catalogue of D'Angelo, generally. Mm. Like, mm. you can't. The catalogue is stacked. Like, I mean, you can't really not praise it. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of weird if you don't. But, but yeah. it's just the actual presentation of the verses really disappointed me. I was really disappointed because I have not been this excited for a verses since surprise surprise erica and jill yeah. and i was like d'angelo and, and what was more annoying because you know d'angelo's a recluse d'angelo doesn't do anything he, he minds his business he he pops up every 10 years to give us a great album and goes back to his life so the fact that he was doing this i was like okay so it must be a big deal he must be he must have something, something special for us because d'angelo doesn't do anything he doesn't do interviews he doesn't he doesn't record that often well he does but it's to put it out music that often so i was like if they're just coming back on a public platform like this yeah it's different like, it's different and it was at the apollo theater so i was expecting like okay this we're gonna get something great here and we just didn't get that it didn't it didn't match up so i was really 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 disappointed by that but hey ho whatever that first song you played i need that on spotify 100 percent. it sounds like it's really good like so i'm gonna definitely play at least that part of the the performance um 
So yeah, those are my thoughts. But this is still and always will be a D'Angelo stand account, always and forever. I mean, there's too much good to really not be at this point, unless something really bad happened. But like, no, in terms of like right now, and I think there's way too much good than bad to really deny the talent. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to do that. Um, unless you're just a hater, but, but yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but yeah, like I'm glad, I'm glad that you know there was something there. Like at least you got to hear that new song. Like, if yes. one thing, because if it was a complete dub, I would have felt like really, I would have been like, oh god, like your weekend organized around that, and then it's just not added up. But good points, bad points. You know, I will definitely be playing that new song and hopefully it's released soon. Cause well, yeah, that's the thing he has teased. Well, this is the thing for a D'Angelo fan, you know, that he's, you know, as I, I say this all the time, D'Angelo and Maxwell are the deadbeat dads of R&B. They always make mm. false promises. Yeah. So <laughs> literally broken promise, <laughs> promise albums, promise singles. But everything. the thing with D'Angelo is it's always worth the wait. That's the thing with him and Maxwell. Like, they take their time, but when it comes out, you can't deny the quality when it, yeah. does, when it eventually does come. So he has said that the follow up to Black Messiah will be coming out this year. I mean, I believe it when I see it because. Okay, let's nigga, get a first oh, single. Oh, Nick, this nigga said it will be out 2015, and here we are six years later. So let's get the single. That's why I'm like, <laughs> let's get the single first. So you can't really, at least you've got something to grapple with in 2021. But, um,. Okay, but, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm I'm ready for that. So it's still it's still all up for D'Angelo over here. Always and forever. Like he's still my king. Mm-hmm. He's still my everything. Yeah. Um, but I do think it should have it should have been D'Angelo versus Maxwell. That's what it should have been. Because if he was gonna... when you said that, I was like, and when I read that this morning, I was like, yeah, like it, it, nothing else makes sense. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like it should have been that originally. And I wish Maxwell, you know, had got on board or like both of them had got on board and won accords to make it happen. But. You know, hey, that would have been a great Valentine's Day. Yeah. <laughs> would have been good. I'm just thinking back to that day. It would have been great if, you know. It really would have. Yeah. But like I said, if anything, if anything, the one positive takeaway is that him just playing these 20, 30, 23 songs, like, you just can't deny mm-hmm. just the jams. Because, like, so, like, that's the thing. You play a song that I love. Like, see, I, lo- I love this song, but you don't even give me anything. Mm-hmm. Like, so Another Life, which is, like, Probably is my favorite song on his last album, but it's probably at this point one of my top five dangerous songs ever. And the fact that he just played it on iTunes, <laughs> probably. Oh no! Like <laughs> it's not. It's not adding up. It's not adding it's up. Not. It's just like, but no, but I can't deny. It. Like you know, this bang is a thousand deaths. Devil's Pie. Feel like making love. Jones Devil's my... Pie is like one of my favorites. Yeah, the root. Like, oh my god. Jones in my bones. Of course, untitled. Of course, but you know me. Yeah. We're going to the songs that no one talks about. Cruising, like you know, Back to the Future. Like we can't deny. Mm-hmm. Like that's the takeaway. Like every song was just like this is a jam though. Like, you're pissing me off, but it's a jam. <laughs> no, and it's... Oh, so many good records. Like, I just... I can't personally wait for that follow-up if it's to come. Like, honestly, for real, for real, for real. And, and I definitely will be at the next show, post, um, post-Pakarumo. 
Um, Do you know what? I need to, something this pandemic has taught me and speaking to my elders and stuff, like I, I just need to go to more shows so, with legends and like classics. Yeah, man. Just, just actually take the chance because people die all the yeah. time. So it's just like, you want to, you want to say, because it's always like, oh yeah, I'll do it. You know, yeah, I'll do it. But it's just like, let me just buy the ticket when they're actually here. So yeah. next time, yeah, I, I think I'll join you yeah. at that next show to be honest. D'Angelo because... is and always will be the greatest live experience of my life. Nothing. And I can imagine that. it just thinking about the instrumentation and kind of the process of some of the songs i'm like come on like a live offering is going to be like a just a visual and audio kind of performance you know like performance mm-hmm. not as a buzzword but like like a stage performance mm-hmm. do you know what i mean like it's going to be a real produ- production it's, that's the word yeah. a production yeah. you know a real production um whether it's instrumentation or how he uses his voice because his voice is an instrument and we, we can't forget that um, and just yeah. how the band interacts yes. with him. Like, I just yes. think there's a lot. There's a lot. So, there's a lot there. He's one of those eyes. So those know? out there, if you've never seen him live, when that tour date's announced after this Pokemon, this Pokemon, <laughs> I highly it's recommend panoramic. it. panoramic. And also, if you've never seen the Voodoo tour, obviously I was too young for the Voodoo tour. But yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. all on YouTube. That also is one of it the... Is. It is. an incredible concert. I wish I was old yeah. enough to experience that. Thankfully, I've seen him, but... That was like a that looks wild because it was like his peak. That as was well. his peak. It was like that his was very his, like in his prime. Yeah, like yeah, it's oh, so love, like it's just nothing great. but love for D'Angelo, but he disappointed me. Mm-hmm. So well, Tim I'm and Swizz got... answer for your crimes. For real, like we need a letter, note <laughs> a note statement of a, like Instagram video or something like how Swiss always does the post versus you know Instagram we hopefully there's one from last night and maybe he's answered those crimes because hey you know if it wasn't great it wasn't it great wasn't. but we're going to venture on into our last item of the week um uh, this is good news this is really good news um I have a bit of a hot take but this is good news um in terms of Bobby Schmurder Listen, he defined most of our uni experiences. If you're around the 25, 26, 27 mark, okay? Um, you heard that song in the club and you had a hat on to throw in the air or you saw a hat to throw in the air or something, an item of clothing was thrown in the air, okay? Um, before that, that line, that iconic line and, you know, you heard Bobby Bitch online, you saw, you saw computers with Rowdy Rebel that like you just know that movement. You know that he was one of the pioneers of drill. You know, when it moved over to New York um, and started marinating across the world. So Bobby is out of prison as of me speaking right now. Um, he was released this week. Um, I believe that it has been year. It's been over a half a decade since he's been locked up. You know, he's still signed to Epic, which I checked in on the first thing because, you know, me and Shopee have a lot of mutuals who work at labels and stuff. So that was the first thing I checked. Um, is he still signed to Epic? And he is. So more material will be released. Um, but Rowdy Rebel, which is his affiliate from the gang and collective G9, um, GS9 that is sorry was released two months ago so you saw that news item probably over the break of our podcast but um I think it was around 11 members um from that group went to prison together um and they were they were arrested basically on the charges there's multiple here murder assault conspiracy weapons and narcotics crimes okay so there's a lot in this statement um 
from the New York Police Department <laughs> from 2014. Okay, so it's been around six years and some change. Six six years and two months to be precise. Um, his mother noted in the document. So um, yeah, this fits into a very big canon. He has been released. He's been seen with Quavo. He's been seen on FaceTime with his mum. I don't even know if he's been home yet, but he's been everywhere. <laughs> um, Quavo, yeah, from Migos, took a private jet to pick him up um, and made sure to FaceTime the family as soon as he was released. His mother, Leslie Pollard, wrote on Instagram. And in six years, two months, and five days, and 5.5 hours, I finally feel like myself again. Um, and I thought it would be interesting to just take you through this article um, on Vulture, <clears throat> which kind of documents what Bobby Schmurd has been doing so far. So, as I said, the first thing <clears throat> Bobby Schmurd did is FaceTime his mum. I'm not going to read her at because it is quite a long at, and I just think she deserves some privacy right now. So I'm not going to advocate for more people to follow her. Um, Biggs Locane, which is an affiliate, gave fans a behind the scenes of the jet on Instagram live and posted a first pic celebrating his release. Quavo, as he said, he came through on his promise and in, in, in a video on IG live, which is in this article, um, he he films, sorry, Schmurder and um, what looks like, of course, our friend, well, not friend, but Karen Civil, um, the host of Welcome to My Neighborhood um, and a documentary crew set up. I'm sure there's going to be a big documentary to come out in the next year. But um, Rowdy Rebel um, also appeared with Karen Civil back in the series in January when he was released. So it, was, it, it feels like probably she's filming a little series there too. But Quavo wrote Welcome Home on the post that he posted online. Bobby then linked up with the CEO of Epic Records currently, which is Sylvia Roan. Um, herself and Quaver presented him with four new plaques today, which are for his material, um, his post, um, his pre-prison material that he released, which has gained multiple platinum and gold statuses. Um, hot, hot nigga, like um, went five times platinum and Bobby Bitch was certified one times platinum, which is great. Um, and his his album, Shmurda She Wrote, which he released before prison, was earned gold status. So there was a case with Shmurda on it and in it were all the plaques. Um, Shmurda Kits, um, of, which involved things like Louis Vuitton um, and hand-painted by Black American contemporary artist Al Bazaar Holly um designed those kits that i was just talking about to present him with his various things quavo and bobby um were given a few stacks uh to help him get under bobby's feet and to help him film for maybe a music collaboration it's been teased as um post-prison with quavo so we'll see what if that's just a quavo and bobby song or if it's like a wider song um Bobby and Rowdy on a more intimate level reunited um, as friends, affiliates, artists, etc. Um, <clears throat> to kind of talk about the gold or yeah, the now gold single computers, which I spoke about earlier, which was one of their first collaborations together. Bobby then had a party where he saw many an artist five year foreign was there um i believe karen was there as well multiple rappers quaver of course and all sorts um rowdy was there too and 
yeah, I think that's been it since uh, he's been released. And also there's a GQ piece, which is an extensive interview, which kind of um, was released 48 hours after his release, uh, which kind of spends the first 48 hours with him. So if you want to find out how exactly that looked, because I know a lot of people are interested, you can um, read either the Vulture piece, which kind of gives you a broad snapshot, or you can read the GQ, which gives you the intricate, sorry, um, look into the rapper in his release and the wider affiliates involved in his life before drill now with drill and business and professional wise as well but um as i said uh i actually have an amendment to make it wasn't 11 members it was more than 11 15 members of the gs9 gang were indicted in that 2014 release um via the new york police department um, i'm reading it right now yes yeah, so 15 members um and it was 21 firearms seized in that kind of break-in to kind of get them arrested. So this is a hallmark case. This is one of the biggest in hip-hop case of prison coverage of a rapper. Um, and, you know, Lil Wayne previously has been in prison. Lil Kim has been in prison. There have been multiple rappers that have been in prison and have had loyal fans advocating for their release. So this fits in the canon of that, really. Um, I wanted to ask you Shopee first of all some of your thoughts on the matter um and just Bobby like what what do you think right now as well? um well I kind of I guess my answer is kind of a question to you well two questions for you but I guess I want to just start off by saying that I can't believe it's been this long I I like I remember time has I remember gone so when fast. the news broke that he was going to prison I remember when hot nigga mm. blew up I remember Bobby Bitch growing up, like, I'm blowing up. I just can't believe that was, like, what, seven, eight years ago? And I just do remember him really having a moment. Like, he really had a mini zeitgeist um, that year in the clubs, in the Black community, both here and in the States. And then it just mm-hmm. was ended like that. <laughs> Literally, as soon as he was up, he was down. And I think mm-hmm. for... And I remember him filming yeah. Bobby Bitch, like, before he went to prison on purpose. I remember him filming that, and he was like, don't forget me, guys. Like, and he dropped it, and then everyone was like, yes, like, Bobby Bitch. And we were so excited, but, you know, he just had gone away. So we kind of stalled in a way that, you know, now I guess you can leverage a bit better. But before then, it was it was very much, like, static when you went to prison a little bit. But, yeah, continue. And I think for me, at the time, I didn't think that, people would care this much later on because by all accounts, he's no disrespect to him, but when you look at it in terms of the general scheme of things, a one hit wonder, quote unquote, you know what I mean? It's, it wasn't like when Lil' Kim was going to jail. It wasn't like when Meek <laughs> was going to jail or other rappers that have gone, Lil' T.I., you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like, I think it was over the years, it was just really weird and quite astounding to see the, sustained interest and sustained desire to see him free and to come back to the mm-hmm. music landscape and definitely more so over the last week and so it kind of poses my questions to you now so kind of um well actually i'll ask the second one later but my first question is so what is it about bobby Schmurder? why was he so important why why was there such vigor for him to come out and why has there been such celebration now that he's out? What, what, so from a musical standpoint, what is it about him, essentially, for, for me and for those who don't know? So do you, so you think, okay, so Bobby Shimoda as a figure, right? 
Um, I think we can take this back a little bit to Chief Keith. And we can take it back to Chief Keith because he, in some cases, mixed the Atlanta trap with the hip hop that was going on in Chicago in terms of gang rap um, and street rap uh, to create or co-create, actually. Let's not call it him alone, but um, to co-create in the south side of Chicago with the likes of King Louis and Boss Wu. Um, drill, you know, that's what it is. It's drill. That was, you know, Chicago drill. You know, it was the sound of the street that was going on, the, you know. So he's one of the pioneers of Brooklyn one, drill. That's what you're saying. No, no, no. This is uh, Chief Keith. So I'm going to I'm gonna paint a picture for you. So okay. it's Chief Keith, Chicago drill. He's one of the pioneers in the early 2010s, yeah? So he creates that with King Louis, Boss Wu, a lot of other people as well. Um, and that inspires the world, you know? Like, we cannot mm-hmm. forget Chief Keith blowing up the internet. There were callous mm-hmm. articles. There were disgusting things said about him. Um, there were news, Fox anchors and all sorts, you know, calling Chief Keith. Um, a one-hit wonder and like a disgusting representation of Chirac which got coined of course um, because Chicago at the time um, had the highest murder rates um, across the country we all remember that we remember platforms like Vice doing documentaries over there talking to you know people like Chief Keith as well we remember, you know, artists like Lil Reese. We remember Lil Durk. Lil Durk is also a huge survivor of that. Huge. And he changed his life. Like, look at him. He's on top of the world right now. And that took almost a decade. So there's that humble beginning um, with both of them. And Chief Keith is now a guard of, you know, um, Chicago Drill. And Drill, more broadly, to be honest, he's known as one of the forefathers of that sound. Um, and people will always remember, you know, at least if not least his first you know finally rich project which is now i believe certified gold or something like that but um he definitely um made waves with love so sir <laughs> i love that song um i don't like nobody kanye even collaborated with him like come on there's synergy there so that inspired not only britain who at the early um the early turn of the last decade as well were creating their own sound not getting as much notoriety um for it because grime was still the, the front of you know uk hip-hop at the time um <clears throat> But it also inspired New York. And in the mid-2010s, we get Rowdy Rebel. And we get Bobby and we get the GS9 crew with their interpretation of drill. For Brooklyn drill, New York drill. But um, yeah, Brooklyn begins. <laughs> and the biggest song at the time, Hot Nigga, a Shoppe reference earlier, created the hat toss, created the moment, created... Um, a lane for Bobby to really thrive in. And then obviously you get Bobby going on this huge run, being considered the next one in line. You know, it was exciting. You know, Drill was becoming commercial in a sense, but people still didn't understand it. Um, What is this sound? What defines it? It's almost like the Afro swing debate, right? What was that sound? What do we call it? All of that. But the equivalent was happening in drill as well. And at this time, the UK was not in that marker. It was not considered anything. It wasn't a part of the conversation, okay? Um, So Bobby goes away. The police, which we'll get to soon, um, incriminated the sound because they've had... um, I'm going to get into this later, but they watch rap 
any rap based genre they watch and this isn't just confined to drill but the drill is a modern uh manifestation of what's going on in the sound so bobby as we know 2014 prison time you know bobby is gone he can't capitalize on murder she wrote um and he can't capitalize on bobby bitch and hot nigga like he can't capitalize on that um <clears throat> but you know retrospectively he did you know the streets did what they did and it went five times platinum and then the other one platinum so but yes at the time we thought drills just a little movement it's not really making waves like that like these kids are just broken homes all of that kind of like what hip-hop went through and you know goodbye drills the end you know but it wasn't the end because you know we in London, <laughs> we helped, you know, because Chicago Drill was, you know, Dirk was still here, actually. Dirk was still doing his thing. Dreezy had capitalized on things and she moved from her, her drill freestyle beginnings to kind of to hip hop more formally. And um, oh, really? Dreezy comes from a drill background? Well, she did freestyles over drill, like um, drill based productions. I would like to hear those. I, c- I can already imagine her killing that kind of production. Yeah, like there was one. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was definitely. I think Nikki jumped on a drill track ish, like Chicago drill, and she freestyled it or something like that. So there was definitely that, and that blew her up on socials. I remember her blowing up on Twitter because of that freestyle. So, um, yeah, Dreezy existed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then we move to Axel <laughs> Key, Axel, Axel, Axel over here, and we move to our favorite. You know, I'm so sad he's gone because this was this was the time all these guys were going to rise together you know heady pop bobby like chief could come back and it it could be a real thing but but um obviously pop died but pop was the the bridge as we've said before to really get things started in terms of international extension of um mm, uk mm. drill but let's not ignore the fact that headies you know multiple drill acts were millions like all of these drill acts unknown were still bubbling. unknown t of course one of the fathers like there's so many that are missing out um skengdo am like we'll get to them soon yeah but yeah um, yep. pioneers in the sound pioneers in the genre um even a Shabo, hey, Shabo was still here kicking and screaming a few years ago too. And, um, you know, they were bubbling. Drake had caught wind, you know, and then Pop Smoke was already ahead of the curve and really like interested because he was looking for a beat on YouTube and stumbled across the UK. And that's when Brooklyn Drill started to change and it started to mirror that of London. But So you're saying Brooklyn Drill had a second life? At it did point. it did and it and and people and the thing is it wasn't even a second life the drill was still bubbling you know just like how before the international either uk drill was still bubbling you know but it's like internationally it started to make wave again and um even 5eo at the time was still recording and stuff like that and pop changed or helped to change because there were still rappers under him doing the London thing but he first became aware of it you know before his debut album all of that came out and we get Pop Smoke we get the mainstream Pop Smoke who has the cadence of a 50 cent who hip-hop are looking for in terms of that nostalgia and he has the production that's exciting the Brits you know and then he flies over to here and really shows love and Drake does his thing and you know demons and all of that and we get the real 
understanding of the lineage of drill, where it's come from Chicago, taken over to New York, adapted, connecting with a London who's been immersed in it for pretty much half a decade at that point. And we make we make an international sound, okay? And that is very consistent with UK producers, like Axel's on everyone's productions now. Um, JB made it, made one of Drake's most successful songs on Demons, you know, in terms of the drill songs that he's made. And JB made, JB made it said that he kind of, in an interview that I did with him last year, he defined um, the New York difference with the UK is that they take our beats and they make it more party records. Like in terms of the UK, it's a lot more aggressive and threatful, um, which is fine because, you know, we all create characters on songs, which is fine. I'm not saying it in a criminalization way. I'm saying it just in the differences. Um, so that happens and we get pop. We get our king of drill, our contemporary king of drill of New York drill that is and people start to understand what's going on you know and that is that carved a lane which I knew would be there from before even pop I knew that Bobby would be able to be here again because drill was rising you know it wasn't going away it was like he went to prison actually at a time where he could because drill was rising it was being understood the marketplace was getting itself ready for bobby schmurder you know if that makes sense and in all nations of the all continents of the mainstream world um and then even west africa now Ghanaian drill yeah, all of that yeah. like so we cannot even, erase even around the place like australia Australia, South Africa, so Sweden, they're starting to yeah. have drill scenes now. The thing is, they all we can pretty much say most countries in the world have it. It's just about which get the spotlight. But it's like in terms of understanding drill, people were doing it all across the world. So it was like, if anything, Bobby could have just well, obviously prison isn't beautiful. We know how it is to black people. We know incarceration in the United States is terrible. But essentially it's the equivalent of without me making prison sound like a walk in the park this is bobby saying you guys do the work <laughs> in a way like you guys do the work i'm gonna just chill and then when it's when it's bubbled to the point where i can come out i'm gonna come out and that divine timing timing is a beautiful thing because with him he's come out at exactly it's a turn of a decade we've been in a pandemic you know like it just seems like real good circumstances for him to come out in terms of we haven't been open and the, the genre hasn't gone so far to forget him if that makes sense so and the thing is this is really controversial super controversial um you know and i love him and you know pop died you know pop was the all-encompassing king of new york drill at that point every platform was saying it every person was saying it at one point there was a war not a war but a kind of like is it five-year is it pop and it was it was pop you know so him going left the gate open there was a complex article last year which kind of said who is going to be the king of drill now that he's gone is it going to be you know little tj is it going to be is it there's so many is it going to be rowdy there, there was so many people in that consideration you know there's so many drillers right now so is it going to be him We've seen, I think it's CJ Whoopty being considered as a copy of pop. No one's pop. So the lane has been left vacant. You know, 5 years is obviously still here. But 5 year almost, well, 
allegedly almost died last year. So there was a whole thing with that and people reinvigorated their sense of five year. And I love five years tapes. There's, if there's one thing, I love his tapes as well. So he's, he's really great, but um, he's there. He's the top of the list as well. But you know, people started to look back to Bobby again. And the thing is, the momentum was there for years because of the criminalization of drill too. People were looking more into that um, and, and just shedding light. And we've definitely seen a reinvigoration because of the number one, the world's understanding of drill um, and divine timing. And number two, I think because of the criminalization of drill as well. Um, and and tragically- And that's so interesting because- and I thank you oh, for yeah. saying everything that I didn't even until now even bridge together the connections between the criminalization of the drill we have over here and Bobby's story. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna let you continue. But I wanted to say that. Yeah, no, I think it's so important and I'll go into it in a second, but I don't want people to take it away that I wanted Pop to die because I think Bobby would have still been fine if Pop was alive. But I think you can't ignore what one circumstance leads to with another. And I think it the, the top spot being vacant, there's a lot of people, <laughs> there's a lot of people contending. Chef G, you know, is here too. Chef G's doing bits, you know, just he got Audio Max up next recently. Um, so there's a lot going on. Um, and Drill isn't just beginning. In my opinion, it's just beginning. There's there's going to be, a, there's a whole roster of artists um, everywhere <laughs> about to eat, hopefully. But um, one thing I want to say uh, as well is on a label point of view. Hmm. It's very interesting. Sony is about to eat. You know, Sony is about to eat because we have, let me just go back. I was talking to one of my friends this week. Fivio is at Columbia. Bobby and Rowdy are at Epic. Chef G is RCA. So we have got the kingpins of New York Draw on one label. And then in the UK, we have Heady One on Relentless Records. So we have a very strong case for Sony about to be eating at large. So it's, it's about to be time. It's about to be time. I said it on Twitter and I'm going to say it again. If the label is smart, if Sony at large is smart, they will get their little divisions and forget the playing, you know, who's the best little subsidiary together, have a con- joint meeting with Heady's team included and sort something out because this is too good an opportunity to, to, we could tell the story of Drill. We could really tell the story of Drill and I think it's time to do that um, in a huge way. And I think having all the kingpins from their respective regions in one room, and I would love to get Chief Keith in that room because Chicago cannot be ignored, um, would be great. But we'll move into the criminalization part because, you know, it's ugly it's pretty ugly i think it just really starts from the fact that the police hate black people you know what i mean like it does like from from that like it it does start from that and um you know we have such a thriving community of drill drillers and i'm not saying that drill is completely positive music like of course not like it's about people's hardships and what they go through on a day-to-day some people are glorifying that and in terms of they are using the image for fake they're setting a fake story you know six nine you know but then there's some people who are genuinely going through all of this stuff as well you know in 
an American context, we've seen this, you know, fuck the police isn't just (laughs) something that came out of nowhere. This is a real thing that has been happening since the dawn of him. There's a lineage with that rhetoric. There's a lineage with that, that rhetoric as well. And I think that rap, you know, at large definitely had those police departments, you know, watching. And there's a beautiful article by one of Complex's, Complex US's like, oh, listen, this guy is such a good journalist and documenter and just just a legal advocate in terms of like watching the legalities of hip hop and stuff. And it's um, Sean Sotaro. Okay, it's Sean Sotaro and his name is spelled S-H-A-W-N and S-E-T-A-R-O. Um, and this is in regards to the NYPD specifically. They are notorious. They are known as one of the harshest police departments in the United States, period. Like they are known, whether it's immigration, whether it's crime, whether it's rap, they are known as one of those like notorious crime units. Um, So the article in question is called Why are the NYPD hip hop police spying on our rappers? Okay. And Mm. I just wanted to pick up, it's a really long read, by the way. It's like really long. It's like an essay, an an academic um, essay as well. Um, and it basically details the hip hop police, like they, the hip, the New York police department created an actual, um, hip hop police that's, uh, conventionally known as the hip hop police. And they- Shout out to Chameleonaire. Yeah. And they were known as the Enterprise Operation Unit. And it begins with a guy called Derek Parker. Parker was a detective in 1996 and it was- uh, the cold case squad that basically ushered him in and he was actually a long-term hip-hop um person like he he was an advocate he was someone who knew about the scene um and knew about the players in the industry that's very important knew about the players so following bigs big whatever you call him biggie you know um in 1997 um parker caught up with the mpd um, the, and he informed them on rap's major players. This led to a four-hour conversation and presentation about the East Coast and West Coast rivalry. So this informs the police department on what's going on, who are the players, who are the drugs dealers in this this kind of mm. case. So this basically gives them a four hour, you know, a four one one on what is going on. Um, crazy right but it happened not surprised not surprised there's always there's always someone there's always informants whether it's our activists whether it's our rappers there's always an informant um or informants like group of informants like multiple so in 1999 the rap intel unit a sub unit of nypd's gang intelligence unit was officially created with parker at the helm so derek joins the police um and its main hmm. job was to gather information on everyone in hip hop. So he went to clubs, he went to concerts. Um, wherever there was a party or an event, I was watching, I was analyzing, I was looking, and he said this to Complex, this is direct anecdotal quotes, okay? So this is what happened. Um, so 
digestible information was given to them. Um, Parker put together files on Jay-Z, Cameron, Damon Dash, Buster, 50 Cent. Um, and he would share with police departments across the states. So this was not just New York anymore. It was being spread across the states. So the rap intel unit was actually revealed in a big film, um, Miami Herald, um, and an article as well. Um Sorry, the Miami Herald was an article, but it was also in films as well, like depicted in films and hip hop and rap films. So it was new, it, it was known. But the NI, NYPD denied it, obviously, when it first came out. Um, but they ended up revealing it days later. And in 2005, there was a leak, um, which basically revealed um, the unit's existence and racial stereotyping going into this kind of unit's existence as well. It wasn't just broad rappers, it was it was black rappers, you know what I mean? Um, so the watching, the looking, all of that was revealed um, and it was a name and shame list and it was like with gang members and rappers and all sorts. Um, Parker said, makes a point to defend the unit. He starred though in this article, he said, um, it started, sorry. And he said, their job is to prevent things from happening. So crime. Um, I know people think they're monitoring rappers, but it's actually, it's for their safety. Um, okay. Okay. Um, but, um, (laughs) yeah, basically, uh, Dawn Florio, um, who represented a number of rappers, including Remy Ma and actually Six Nine, um, said it's to me, it's like they're stalking at the highest level, um, and it's overtly aggressive investigations that monitor every moves of these entertainers, every move, like not just rap based moves, like moves outside of that as well. Um, that is truly, that is truly intense surveillance. Intense and and organized surveillance. You know, mm, and with yes, Remy Ma, yes. with Remy Ma, she says that they were watching her as well. So, you know, it probably led to some of her criminality and, and imprisonment as well. It probably led to that too. So, there's a lot that's happened, and there is something else called a multi-agency response to community hotspots um this is how you hurt the club uh parker says you approach them and you tell the clubs if you allow this rapper there um and god forbid he shoots somebody or something happens we're going to take it out on you so that is what the multi-agency response to community hotspots is the community hotspots if you host things knowing that this is going to happen and it happens we're going to blame you so basically they started in the community saying, if you host this rapper, if you host that rapper, you, you know, this is going to happen to you if, if if any bad stuff happens on your premises. You're going to be blamed, you know. Um, so it's a type of raid by authorities that can destroy businesses. So the multi-agency mm. part is multi-agency. It's different parts of the police forces. Um, so the fire department, the building departments, the state liquor authority, and all could kind of ruin this business if they if they kind of don't comply. So Parker says sometimes he continues the March raids, um, which is the acronym, uh, can be called even if there's no violence. So <laughs> this happens, this is like the UK, which we're going to get to in a minute, but they happen simply if a club books an artist, the cops do not want them to. So this sounds a very similar people of UK grime, you know where I'm mm-hmm. going with this, mm-hmm. you know exactly mm-hmm. where I'm going with this. So um, yeah, if you defend the, if you defy the police, 
uh, you could be in prison, you could be blamed, you could be fined, all of this. So the NYPD's aggressive approach towards rap concerts exploded recently in October when the department sent a letter to Rolling Loud. So one of the biggest performance live entertainment entities worldwide now because they've launched places in Europe too. Um, so they asked them to remove five local artists. Want to guess who they are? Drillers. So... <laughs> Casanova, Pop Smoke, Chef G and Donkey were amongst these artists um, who got removed. <laughs> the letter became public and the festival organisers caved to the demand. So this is Rolling Loud being complicit here because they didn't want to lose their stature, maybe funding from certain distributors if they were known to not comply with police orders and stuff like that. There was... There were strong implications that they probably didn't want to face. So that is basically a history and a deep dive into how... But there's other aspects as well. So lyrics are being used in courtrooms now. This is not just in England. This is in the United States as well. Um, So I'm not going to go into that too much. But what I'm just going to say is that there's a lot of criminalization happening in the US, in the UK... As I just kind of hinted at, Form 696 was a thing. It's now since been removed. But since 2005, promoters and licenses have been asked to complete a Form 696 as a risk assessment, quote unquote, for hosting music events with DJs and MCs. So some grime artists say they have been stopped from performing days before or hours before as a result. The Met denied the form had been used to target particular genres but said it had decided to drop it after a fall of serious in serious offense at music events so this wasn't even them admitting to their kind of um complicity in racial discrimination or um genre-based discrimination but loads of artists have kind of, including skeptor actually have spoken out over the years around how it criminalized grime we are almost done but i just need to touch on the uk as well because I'm going to point you to Digger D's new documentary on BBC Three, which outlines drill and how it is being criminalised in his uh, in his instance. He's 20 years old, by the way, um, or he was in 2018 when um, he was first convicted um, of conspiracy to commit violent um, disorder and immediately slapped with a criminal behaviour order. He was the first artist to be given one. Um, and it basically is he has to submit his music before Mm -hmm. he releases it um, Mm -hmm. to YouTube or public out, out um, platforms. I think he got, um, he got warned for talking about Black Lives Matter as well on his Instagram live last year um, in the wake of the protests and stuff um, because of quote unquote violence um, or advocating for violence because you know, some of the protests weren't peaceful. (laughs) Um, But the police with criminal behavior orders can and will watch, surveil, and have to approve songs before release. That is, um, that is insane. It is insane. That is insane. That it is, is insane. Absolutely insane. And I'm not going to forget Skengdo and AM who were sentenced for playing their song. The nature of the breach was them performing their song Attempted 1.0 at a London concert um, at Coco uh, a couple of years ago. Um, 
and this is a form of censorship basically as well um we ended the year on such a positive note. We were so proud of what we achieved, said um, AM of Skengzo and AM. We were just really excited about 2019 because it's happened in 2018. And Skengdo rolled his eyes um, and said to The Guardian, and what a fucking start to this year. I just feel violated um, based on the lyrics of Attempted 1.0, which they played. So their music got banned and they got imprisoned. So... The police are watching us. The police are watching all of the drill acts right now. Um, similar in a similar way to hip hop. Just like I read to you guys around that police unit being created and the subunit afterwards being created, and the businesses being told not to host these people. Even up till last year with Rolling Loud, um, or the year before, sorry, with Rolling Loud, um, police are still targeting our genres. And there's a lineage because if you just heard my rhetoric around the CBO, the Form 696, the yes, police department in yes, the United States, yes. um, and mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. the just even the fuck the police song is legit, you know, NWA have been arrested before because of stuff like that. There is a pattern. There's a pattern. You know, rock artists don't get called like this and they say fuck whoever, you know, Marilyn Manson you know, was doing all sorts, you know, and it's, it's only recently that, you know, people are, who were cognizant and aware of what was going on, woke up and spoke out about it. Um, I actually, um, this isn't even self-promotion, I just feel like it's relevant, but there's an article that I'm writing that's coming out about lyrics and it touches a bit on drill too. So there's a lot going on and I just think we need to be cognizant of how the law is re reacting to our genres, like grime and now drill with the UK and in the US hip hop at large, so rap based genres that speak to real hardships, you know, street based violence. Me and Strope were talking about the crack cocaine documentary on Netflix and, you know, the preventative measures that could have been put in place. Um, but part of that birthed hip hop, you know, as well, part of that movement birthed hip hop, you know, rappers trying to get out of that struggle. So there's a lot of interconnected issues going on, but drill is definitely um, under attack right now. Um, even though it's building such an incredible momentum, it is under attack right now. And I think that Bobby, I, I just like Meek Mill, because Meek Mill's been targeted with the police since his release and been threatened to go back in. Um, Bobby needs to watch himself and Rowdy as well. Rowdy Rebel, and all the GS9 members at large, because this is not going to be easy mm -hmm. until they're under their, uh, until they're over their kind of, um, what do you call it? Uh, parole period. Um, they're not going to, they can't slip up pretty. at all. And even as draw artists, even outside of that, they're never going to be able to, because the thing is, we in Shoppers spoke about this yesterday as well. When you are criminalized as a black person, man or woman, you know, trans, whatever, like just anyone, old, young, whatever, you are a barcode in the US system. And that means that they are waiting for you to trip up again to send you back because you're labor to them. You are free labor for them essentially or cheap, extremely cheap labor for them. Um, you are a slave in, in senses. And I don't want to put out any trigger words, but you are a slave to them. And that is not just unique to the US. Whenever we are thriving, in whatever space it is, there are preventative measures put in place or uh, colloquial kind of measures put in place to watch out for us 
when we slip up. We're not allowed grace. We're not extended nope. grace. You know, look what happened with 6 9 given the option to be an informant and then let out, you know? And he's starting drama and he's starting violence right now. I don't see the police on his neck. I don't see it at all, you know? And he's egging rappers on and inciting violence and stuff like that. He, nothing's happening, you know? So this is racialized, extremely racialized as well. So I, for one, want Bobby to just rest. <laughs> I think the activity over the last couple of days, I'm like, damn, like, it's a lot. And there's a lot of expectation on him, you know. Um, and number two, I would love for, um, I would love for people around him, you know, his teams, Sylvia, the same way you're going to him to present him with a plaque, I need you to really watch out for the legalities of the situation because some labels in the past have just let our artists crash and burn, you know, without really and truly helping them and looking into the legalities of the situation and just, you know, preventative measures. Because in that hip hop um, uncovered documentary that I referenced earlier on FX, something that was really beautiful to see is... Um, you know, important members like Deb, who is um, Waka Flocka's mother, Deb Annie, um, and other members, Haitian Jack even, guide Tupac in the early days of days out of situations, you know. Deb saved Gucci, or tried to save, you know, he's been to prison, but like save, try and save Gucci from a multitude of situations. And, you know, there's countless of examples of Nipsey Hussle being saved from the street life before obviously what happened um but we need more of that mentorship and it's not even professionalism it's just more people who know street culture and street politics to help out these artists because some in some I'm not saying every rapper is a street you know we're not doing that but some rappers have real hard and dark and harrowing stories just like some rockers do you know just like some pop artists you know have been sexually abused or whatever have had hard lives and there's trauma there and in the rap world replicating those cycles I think needs we need to take more care of our artists and not look at them as commodities and I know hip-hop is in its most successful period in its conception point blank you know most commercial we have people being inducted to the hall of fame we have we have incredible moments happening right now but at the same time there is the trauma still goes on because society doesn't care about black people you know it doesn't so the trauma is still there so in in the people who are quote-unquote saved need to go and save the communities to which they know are still at harm you know um because that stops the perpetuating of cycles in our, and I don't care about the white gaze. I care about our perceptions of ourself and I care about black progress. So for me in the, in the, in the vein of black progress, it's not even about capitalism. It's not about gaining capital. It's about learning. There are other ways to do things, you know, and learning cause and consequence in our society. And I think. And alternative approaches to justice, you know, Yes, exactly. Alternative approaches to exactly, exactly, and alternative approaches to justice, and alternative solutions fundamentally. And I think we need more Debs, we need more um, Haitian Jacks. There's so many figures I'm forgetting as well. They, they, oh, 
just so many there we need more figures like that in our community who just show a different way and both of them came from the streets but they learn and they they reproduce even with deb's son waka flocka like you know they helped them in different ways to progress out of the situations to which they were in so that's my spiel on drill and hip-hop at large (laughs) and bobby and i i I wish him every success honestly you know honestly wish him every success in in, in, it's time for him to come out you know it's been time let's give nicholas terrell scott investigative journalist a round of applause for that almost 40 minute uh history lesson you just gave us (laughs) thank you thank you thank you you speak your name you bow down we need we need Nicholas Terrell on the on the, on the BBC I Play documentary in a black chair behind behind <laughs> him. Not yet, not yet, nah, 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 not yet, not yet. But do you know what? I would love to um, just give some thoughts on what's going on in terms of like the the contemporary. I don't think a whole. I think there's so many other figures who have documented our genres so well over the the years that have happened and you know i definitely want to shout out andre g as well just a great journalist like such a great journalist in terms of the new york and wider hip-hop in the united states i think he covers it so well but um in terms of i'd love to just as i see certain things happening in the modern canon in the uk i'd love to yeah i'd love to talk in a little a little documentary about some of this stuff but when time permits because as i said i'm not an expert in anything and it has to be the right nuances as well just like i'd like to see you in an r&b documentary or something like that like uk r&b like you know there was one on guap mm-hmm, like two mm-hmm. years ago but like some something more robust as well and, and i think we've evolved so much more in those two years tiana was not where tiana is right now and i think there's so so many other people even i'm um, shay's universe not where she was right now um there's so much we can talk to in that space so i think there will be more documentaries to be made i think there's so much to be made and i and shout out to bbc3 for that that digger d one i think you know i didn't even know that was it's really good they created one about um abuse in the music industry octavian was covered in that as well which is good i mean as in emo baby was covered on telling her story which is dope and lyrics and all of that and also i don't know if you've seen this there's also i haven't watched it yet but i've saved it there's um this series called hip-hop songs that shook america it's like a six-part documentary what was it hip-hop hip-hop songs that shook america yes i've yeah 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 yeah. i've been meaning to watch that as well which is a great shout and it's such a kind of relevant to what we've just been discussing because these these were taking songs and artists that were definitely being targeted and mm-hmm. surveillance by uh, law enforcement and white media and yeah like Run DMC is in here I think um, NWA NWA yeah yes <laughs> yeah. So that's a six part of current BBC iPlayer as well. I'm definitely yeah. making time for, to watch that. And the the hip hop uncovered one that I keep referencing on FX is super important. And I think GRM and Mixtape Madness are starting to do mini documentaries as well, which is great. Um, I know that GRM have partnered with YouTube for a couple of them. So I think that covers the UK side of things quite well. I think we've actually got really robust canons of documenting right now. I think, you know, it's time. And I think I'm happy that, you know, we've got these to reference back to in the years to come um but yeah that is 
that's our spiel, I guess, on Bobby. What do you have any other thoughts on Bobby? No, I've said my or... thoughts. I want this topic to just be Nick Shining moments. Just not. not... <laughs> I, I still think you know. There's so many. Um, there's so many other people as well in our, in our scene who are covering that space really well. I think there was a goal in mind yesterday, um, last year because um, JB made it. You know produced one of drake's biggest and i was like he needs to be documented and i know billboard did a little um piece on him which is great but um i wanted to talk to him and i pitched it to a couple outlets i'm really glad that we i think that's my longest q a and it just talks about the history of uk drill because i just really wanted a producer who's who's doing great things and who reached great places to kind of tell his story as well so mm-hmm. drill is something that interests me heavily uh Chopin knows that as well um, I'm just excited to see where it goes as well. Like we've got a Vorian doll who just got covered by crack dope, like um, a full, you know, cover story, which is coming out soon. I think it's out in print. Um, so yeah, like would incredible gowns, incredible things. Shabo doing her thing on the mobos. You, uh, do you know what we're doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. We're really in a good space. A positive and digger D just strength for strength every time he comes out. So yeah, you know, it's it's a strong it's a strong time. I just hope, I just hope that the criminalization aspect of it doesn't tarnish it. That's my one hope because, and not tarnish it in terms of I want these artists to behave. I mean tarnish it in terms of we need to fight this institution because mm. they they are doing the wrong things and our governments at large are doing the wrong things. Just like when they planted crack cocaine in our, the communities in the United States, instead of focusing on the systemic issues, you're just putting painting the rappers who are trying to get out of the struggle as the forces of evil when they're trying to escape and just live, you know? What else are they going to rap about? Ponies when they, 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 all they know, well, not all they know, but a large part of what they know is that, that perpetual struggle for survival. You know, that is what it is. And I think we need to reframe how we view these these hardships that our rappers go through. I think there's a lot of respectability politics there. There's a lot of bad apple, you know, there. And, I, you know, there's nuance in everything. So some of them are definitely perpetuating the harm intentionally, knowing that they could be better. But some genuinely don't know any better. You know, human conditioning is a thing, you know, I'm conditioned to think I have to work a job every single day. You know, we're all conditioned to that. And then some people are conditioned to get it how you live it. Like This is a way I'm getting money because I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing money. So I'm going to get it a different way. So I think we just need to humanize that more rather than criminalize it. That's, that's the takeaway I'd, I'd want people to get from this, this discourse, but it's Sunday we have recorded for almost two hours probably two hours at this point as usual we always have a plan in mind and it just never goes to that for for you guys benefit of course but um yeah like we're back season six Six. it's a crazy one you know um we've we've done incredible things so far so yeah hey guys we're back every week now um and hopefully next week eads is back on the on the mic to give his perspective on things definitely been missed we've never started a season without someone so hmm, interesting but yeah um i am n tyrell this is shopper saratin you can find our ads as we've just said them um or if i just said them 
and follow that's pod on all social accounts you know social media accounts instagram twitter spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from um and share because that's how we grow and that's how we build a wonderful community like you guys who engage react respond share gifts all of that um to us and just make us laugh every day so yeah we are back and shout out to tony for editing this podcast as well and shout out to jmz for the new theme music thank you thank you thank jmz you for sure. yeah and man like mike for the artwork so dope 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 things and we cannot wait for a, a jam-packed season full of guests and great commentary enjoy and have a great week mm-hmm.